White Rocket Entertainment. White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 449. Hello and welcome to On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast, White Rocket's James Bond podcast, brought to you by White Rocket Entertainment in association with all of our great friends and supporters via Patreon.com. I'm Van Allen Plexico, and once again I'm joined with my regular co-host for our review of all the Bond films leading up to the uh, No Time to Die in April of 2020, Alan J. Porter. Welcome back aboard, Alan. Thank you, Van. And we're getting close to that April uh, deadline. And I think we'll just squeeze them in, won't we? Because today we're on number 23. We're on 23 uh, and it's February. So we've got, it just worked out perfectly. It really did. did, And it's amazing. We've been consistent. I mean, we've, we've had delays here or there just, but never more than a week or two, you know, and, and, you know, over the space of two years, that adds up to like adding another month or so, but I'm really proud. We've stuck to it and we've, done the work and we've gotten it in and we're about to uh get to the end of the path we have this one and then of course in a few weeks we'll be doing specter i'm sorry and then it'll be time to review a brand new spanking shiny new bond film the last daniel craig bond uh love boat i mean no time to kill (laughs) one of those i know it's one of those every time so So tonight we're looking at Skyfall, and I don't even know where to begin. This is this is the 50th anniversary movie. It's a it's it's I think the the in terms of just actual dollars, not adjusted for inflation, it's the most the highest box office one I think. It um, is, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to say, and and it's going to be interesting to hear what you think about it, and I think to think about. I'm I plan on reevaluating this movie. I've had opinions about it for years. But I I watched it again, obviously, a week or so ago. We were actually a little delayed because I've had pneumonia for like the last three weeks. And so we've had to kind of put our show off until we, we usually do them on Tuesdays, more or less. And we, we so we were kind of delayed, but it gave me more time to think about it. And I had a chance to listen to another podcast. And this is what's interesting, Alan. And I'm going to I want to get your all your thoughts. But let me give you this one thing. I, I've listened to many James Bond podcasts talking about Skyfall, okay? But I listened to a non-James Bond general movie review podcast talking about Skyfall and got some new insights that I'd never gotten from the Bond cognizanti. You know what I mean? So oh, okay. I, I have interesting. Yes, yes. So I have some thoughts and I have some maybe slightly changed opinions, and I'm going to run them by you, and that's going to be very interesting as we go along. It's gone. You both know what's at stake here. There isn't much road left. Take the bloody shot. What do you say about a man like that? Three months ago, you lost the drive containing the identity of every agent embedded in terrorist organizations across the globe. 007, reporting for duty. Where the hell have you been? Enjoying death. I only have one question. Why not stay dead? There's no shame in saying you've lost a step.
targeting her. They wanted her to see it. Welcome to the new MI6. I'm your quartermaster. You must be joking. Both the PPKS 9mm short. It's been coded to your palm print, so only you can fire it. Less of a random killing machine, more of a personal statement. Q. 007. I want to meet your employer. How much do you know about fear? All there is. Not like this. Not like him. Just look at you. Chasing spies. England. And my sex. She sent you after me, not when you're not ready, not when you would likely die. Mommy was very bad. The two survivors. This is what she made us. Everybody needs a hobby. So what's yours? Resurrection. What do you where where do we start when we're talking about Skyfall? Well, I'm going to start at the end because I, I the, the the note that I wrote for the end. So I'm sort of doing my movie summary now. Okay. Okay. So the first time I saw this in the movie theaters, I I enjoyed it. I'll say I even gave a little fanboy squeal at the reveal of the DB5. Um, <laughs> I like the score. I like some of the cinematography and color design. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are some cool moments on it. But then as I started to think about it, I rapidly realized that it didn't make any sense. Um, <laughs> and for reasons we'll get into, a lot of reasons we'll get into. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, the more I watch it, the more I problems I have with it, and the more I dislike it. And every time I watch it, it drops precipitously down my list good lord man don't watch it ever again (laughs) stop now to to the point where he's actually actually only got one more place to go it's actually number 23 on my list so um, wow i have a lot lot of problems with this movie holy cow so i know i'm really in the minority here because i know a lot of people really love this movie i see a lot of people put it if not in their top five in their top 10 a lot of people say it's their favorite bond movie Mm. obviously i'm clearly in the minority and, you know, it's just looking at the ratings on most of the review sites. It gets a 75 to 80% positive rating on the uh, the much-referenced uh, list of Bond experts that I, I reference. Um, it's number seven. So probably the biggest disparity mm-hmm. um, between them and me. Oh, and by the way, I have an apology to make. So for the past 22 movies, whenever I've referenced that list, I've said it was from the Sunday Times. And after the last podcast i had two separate people saying i can't find that Sunday times list online do you have a link yeah. and i and i was like oh i'll go look for it on the sunday times website i could not find it either then i actually pulled the, the actual news which i do every time that i've we've talked about it over the last couple of times like when i read the list of people and i actually physically pulled it out and didn't realize it's not actually from the sunday times <laughs> okay <laughs> it's from the it's from the Times, but it's from their Times on Thursday supplement from October 2015. Ah. So, so if anybody's been looking for it in the Sunday Times, 
mea culpa, it was not in the Sunday Times. Mm. It was in the Times on Thursday supplement in October 2015. And apparently it's online, but it's behind a paywall. So ah. um, you, you can find it. And if you want to pay for it, you can get to it. But if anybody's been searching for it in the Sunday Times, based on what I've said for the past 22 episodes, <laughs> I apologize because <laughs> I've got the wrong newspaper. <coughs> yeah, it, well. Even though I was actually physically looking at it most of the times I actually referenced it. Okay, so uh, I will get out of my sorry box now. Um, <laughs> I, you know, so yeah, it's number twenty-three on my list. So come on, where is it on yours? Okay, and by the way, I want to I want to point out too that Alan's maybe starting to get sick tonight, and I'm yeah. Just, I apologize. I have a case of the sniffles as well, so my apologies if and, that comes across. And I'm just now hopefully climbing out of that hole that I've been in for a while. So neither one of us sounds great, but we're going to get through it. We're going to get through it one way or the other because we got an important movie to talk about. All right, I this this is very important, folks. I ranked these, you know, a number of months ago, back almost two years ago when we started this process. And I've I've said on the air when I felt like moving them up or moving them down, but it's still pretty much the same list I started with way back two years ago. And like I said, I've had opportunity to think about this movie more, to watch it again, to hear other people talking about it, and I've reevaluated it a little bit. But I'm not going to tell you, I don't even know yet where I've moved it to. But right now, I thought, I thought I would have it much lower than you because I have it at 21. But you have it next to last. In fact, that means on your list, you have either Octopussy or A View to a Kill ranked higher than this movie. And that is shocking to me. I'm going to die another day. Wow. <laughs> so. Whoa. Okay. All right. All right. I had died another day 17, so I don't have it as low as a lot of people. All right. So for me, I think this is the Bond film for non-Bond fans. Now, let me explain what I mean. That doesn't mean that Bond fans don't like it, although you and I are here talking about it that way. I, th- I know that there are plenty of Bond film fans that like it or love it. And by the way, as we always point out or always you know, like to say, when we say we don't like it, it's still a James Bond movie and we still love it. It's yeah. just we're this is all relative. We're always talking relative to the other Bond movies. They're all Correct. Bond movies, so we love them. Come on. Okay. Now, but I think this is, you know, yes, I know there are Bond fans that lo- like or even love this movie, but I think this is the Bond film that, at least in recent years, that appeals the most to the non-Bond crowd because it is a Sam Mendes thing with a with a big cast and it's very down to earth relative to some of them you know and it's more serious in some ways than like Quantum of Solace is it's not as wound up in all the continuity of Casino Royale like Quantum of Solace was so and it doesn't have you know it doesn't try to touch all the bases in the past at the expense of today like you know Spectre does so this is this is this is the one that I think in some ways it's kind of like the the spy who loved me of the 21st century. You know, it's that really big Bond movie where they just kind of threw it all out there and were able to get, you know, a big music composer for it, a music person and, you know, a big uh, a big guest cast and special effects and everything. I mean, I I feel like this is this the cinematography and everything. This movie is aimed at a general audience more than most Bond films. How how would you react to that statement? Yeah, I, I take your point. I I think it is. I think it it, it clearly it has the wider appeal. Otherwise, it wouldn't be making made the box office. It didn't. So many people wouldn't love it as much as they do. So it definitely has a, a much wider appeal. Um, I guess my thing is um, I don't see this as a Bond movie. I see this as a Daniel Craig movie. Oh, okay. Um, I think, and I think it 
a lot of people, you know, and I know a lot of people because of the length of time have come into Bond just in the Craig era and see it as a really great Daniel Craig movie. Mm-hmm. And I, I see that. He, 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 his acting in it is really good. I think it's an excellent story of an aging, melancholy spy whose doubts about what he does yeah. leads him to make mistakes that eventually leads to the destruction of everything that he holds dear. Yes. If that's the movie you want, this is that movie. Mm-hmm. That, but that is not a James Bond movie for various reasons that I think we'll get into personally as to what the character of Bond does and doesn't do. Um, and the basic plot structure has, has been said a million yes. times is totally cribbed from two other movies. It's Mission Impossible meets Home Alone. Um, <laughs> I would say and GoldenEye is in there too. Yeah, but from outside the Bond family, yes. I, think it's, you know, I, can, I can actually almost hear as if you know somebody had gone in to do a, a you know a logline pitch. That's what they would have said. It's Mission Impossible meets Home Alone. Yeah. That's the logline. You know, that's the pitch. Yeah. And because of things that Bond and other characters do, um, it, it, it puts me off. But like oh, Alan, I, Alan, if Alan, you want a story about an aging spy? Then this is a really good movie about that. What it's not is a good bond movie you know me. you know you know what it oh my gosh if they could have done this movie and then turn with with if they could have put daniel craig on the shelf or in the winter soldiers uh suspended animation thing and done this movie with pierce brosnan as his last bond i know the the peripherals wouldn't be the same but just in terms of the aging bond one last hurrah He's older. He's being put out to pasture. I mean, that would have worked so much better for Pierce Brosnan in 2012 than it works for Daniel Craig right after Casino Royale, Quantum of Solace. Yeah. It yes. just doesn't work right after those two movies. It no, doesn't make we'll, we'll come to that, yeah. at that point in the plot. But yes, it, it, if, there'd, if there'd been something where it, it's somebody that hadn't been around for, or, you know, or one that we hadn't seen for seven or eight years and came yeah you yeah if it had been like november man meets skyfall rather than just skyfall oh man that would have been so good um but but you touch on there is another reason why i say it's the non-bond fans bond film because bond fans like us are the ones that can nitpick the stuff we're talking about now that we have problems with the non-bond film the non-bond fans they don't have those issues so all they see is a is like you said a Daniel Craig spy movie, and in that case, it's it's not bad, you know. So uh, I still think there's some huge plot problems and yeah. story problems, whether it, whether it's a Bond movie or a non-Bond movie. Yeah, uh, just as a movie as a storytelling, I think there's some huge problems with it. Yeah. Um, but okay. I, I think I think because we project certain things into what we expect. Yes, um, that's as, fair. You know, you know, having watched all these so many so many times. Um, so yes, this is different from the other Bond movies mm-hmm. um, for one central reason, and I might as well throw it out now that why this is different from all the other Bond movies is because Bond is a complete and utter failure. <laughs> um, right. You can take Bond out of this movie and it doesn't change the outcome. Wow. Fact, he, make, he makes things worse. He's Indiana Jones in Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> he is. In fact, he actually makes the outcome worse than it would have been if he hadn't been there. Um, so... <sighs> For me, that's, again, one of the things why it's not a Bond movie. Bond can go up against the seemingly, the, you know, the odds that, you, that you, can't, you can't fathom how he's going to get out of him. But they're, they're situations that other people have created and he walks into and he sees the weaknesses and exploits them and gets out of them. He doesn't create 
the bad situation. Mm-hmm. In this one, he creates the bad situation. And we'll get into some of the details of that. And he makes mistakes. M makes mistakes. Q makes mistakes. Money Penny makes mistakes. Everybody is flawed, which, yeah, I know is a human thing, but we're not talking about human. Yeah, it's a Bond film. <laughs> characters. This is a suspension of disbelief. This is our hero. He can walk into the yeah. volcano full of, you know, um, henchmen and escape. Mm-hmm. But great in the situation. No, he doesn't create the, those sort of situations. He resolves them. That's right. um, so, okay, That's I'll get off that soapbox because it's going to be a lot of them tonight. <laughs> that's good. That's good. <laughs> um, but that's, again, one of the other reasons for me why it's so low down my list. Because right. this is, like I said, it's a, it's a reasonably good spy movie with a lot of storytelling issues, I think. Mm-hmm. But it's not a James Bond movie for me. Well... Let's dig on in. Where do you want to begin? The peripherals well, let's to go, let, let, let's, let's take a step back on our usual stuff. So alignment to Fleming. Mm-hmm. I give this a three out of 10 for alignment to Fleming. My first thing was, oh, this has got actually nothing to do with Fleming. But actually, I was thinking about it. So the early sequences of James Bond being missing and presumed dead is pretty. And, um, and him suffering from sort of some sort of amnesia type thing. And M sitting there writing his obituary for the times that's right out of you of you only live twice so yeah okay there's a bit of fleming there his return for to london and going through an evaluation to get back into that's sort of from the man with the golden gun and you could say him you know cradling his m in his arms at the end he's sort of reminiscent of him and tracy mm. um at the end of majesties so yeah there's 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 no fleming story but i think there's bits and pieces of fleming scattered throughout here so i'll, I'll give it that one i gave it a three out of ten for that um, and then sort of, we, we touched on this before, but, you know, the, the, there was this big gap. That, so, uh, you know, this was uh, development of um, what was going to be Bond 23 was uh, delayed due to the bankruptcy and delayed sale of MGM. And they actually officially suspended production in April 2010 while the whole bankruptcy thing was going on. And it resumed in 2011. So mm-hmm. I think once they started it in in twenty then it was like the aim was to have something in the theaters for the 50th anniversary of the franchise that yeah. you mentioned it is a 50th you know it they did a lot of stuff around the 50th anniversary thankfully they didn't pepper it with all the stuff that they did in the 40th anniversary one of having all the old props and or inspector yeah. honestly they kind of did the same thing yeah that was when, that was when i was yeah. so wanting mendez to go is when i'm like dude you're not even making a new movie you're just remaking everything you liked in the past and i don't need to see that i wanted to say yeah. t- t- two things one is the title skyfall i love right. that title it's a good title it sounds like an ian fleming title but i'll say this i felt like did, did, when you first heard that title, it sounds to me like a Pierce Brosnan, Roger Moore era title, like GoldenEye or or something, where there's a satellite going to blow up a city or something. Doesn't Skyfall sound like that? It does, yeah. Um, I thought for sure it was going to be some kind of aerospace product. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. like Skyfall or like the Deathwing from the newspaper comics or mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, apparently when I was doing the research, it, uh, it says that uh, the, the two screenwriters, Neil Purvis and, and Robert Wade, basically just came up with the idea at two in the morning. They were searching for a name for a, a haunting place name, and they just came up with Skyfall and just put it out there, and it, stu- it, st- it stuck. Um, so, um, yeah. so this is actually the only Bond movie where the writing team have provided the title of the movie. Oh, interesting. So, yeah. 
Okay. Um, and he talks about Mendes. So Mendes, Mendes was actually brought on board during the uh, while the production was shut down as a consultant on Bond 23. And then uh, apparently Daniel Craig was the one who suggested that he take on the director's role. Uh, Mendes basically was a Bond fan or said he was a Bond fan. Um, and some of that influenced this movie in the wrong way. Um, and he also said he wanted to uh, basically do a Christopher Nolan influenced by Batman Begins, The Dark Knight mm-hmm. vibe to it. So, um, And a lot of people do, do compare it to those two movies. So uh, yeah. budget... Budget, it was exactly the same as Quantum of Solace. Had exactly the wow. same budget as Quantum of Solace. Uh, so I think he did more with the money. I do too. Yeah. And as we said, box office, this is it. This has done $1.1 billion worldwide Yeah, on a, on a $200 million budget. So that's a pretty good return on your investment. Did pretty well. Yeah, this, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I mean, well, I think that, you know, usually in movies like this, you'll have a movie come along that doesn't do as well at the box office early, but ends up, Eventually, within a couple of years, everybody's seen it on video if they didn't see it in the theater. And they're like, oh, this is awesome. And I think Casino Royale was that movie. It didn't make the money this movie did. But I would guess that at least as many people like Casino Royale as like Skyfall. Maybe I'm wrong about that. But I think Casino Royale is a far superior movie. But I think that maybe Quantum of Solace made people go, eh. And then when Skyfall came out, they were primed. They'd seen Casino Royale a couple of times on video, and they all went to see Skyfall. Oh, yeah. And the other thing is, when I first saw it, it seemed stranger to me in a lot of ways. And then, I, and then it dawned on me that it was the 50th anniversary. That totally made sense to me. You know what I mean? I was like, okay, I can totally see a lot of the reasons why a lot of this, the things in this movie happen now that don't make as much sense if it's just a random Bond movie. But if it's the 50th anniversary Bond movie... It, it it makes a lot more sense that it would happen, and it's interesting because it came out around the same time that 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 Britain was also hot and heavy doing the Doctor Who 50th anniversary in 2013. And there's one thing I noticed about British pop culture in that era, in that period there, is that they get really big and obsessed with anniversaries and doing big special things for the anniversary. You don't see that as much in I don't think in American productions. Maybe you don't have anything that's 50 years old, but you know, are you but well you do Star Trek and all, but it just seems like in American franchises they don't make as big of a deal in the media or in the product itself about it being anniversary. But Doctor Who, for like a whole year, was like, it's the 50th anniversary, woo big, 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 you know. And and this is kind of the same thing. It's kind of done the same way. So that that the, the, the scale of this movie and a lot of the references in it and a whole lot of things like that made more sense to me when I realized that that's what it was. Yeah, okay. Interesting cultural observation. I hadn't really thought about it. Yeah. It was very apparent back in 2012, 2013, when all those things were happening at the same time. It was like, you know, these. it's like every time you turn around, it was, it's the 50th anniversary of this thing. So, all right. So what else do we need to talk about before we dig into the movie? We, uh, you talked about the uh, Fleming collection, connection. Don't, don't you have like the steam shovel or something? At the, at oh, the... yeah, but that, yeah, that's in the pre-credit sequence. So. Okay. Steam shovel. Let me make. <laughs> steam shovel, really? Whatever it is, the big shovel digger thing. <laughs> yeah. All right, we'll talk about that when we get to it. Okay. Oh, what the hell? We'll talk, we'll talk about it now since you mentioned it. So, yeah, my uh, my Fleming Foundation story for this one actually is a very personal one, so I'll, I'll get into that in a bit more detail. Mm-hmm. Um, as, as Van just uh, alluded to, we have the steam shovel. Yeah, we have the excavator from uh, the <laughs> opening scene. 
sequence, which is pretty cool. So the story, one of the things I actually like about that was uh, I, I was sort of pretty central to us getting it because at the time of when Skyfall came out, I was actually working at Caterpillar and it is a Caterpillar 320D excavator, if you want to want to know. It was used in that train sequence in the opening sequence. And uh, when I was working at Caterpillar and this appeared in Skyfall, I made it my mission to try and get hold of that excavator for the Inflaming Foundation. Um, <laughs> It took five years, and it was only after I'd actually left Caterpillar that um, we got it because I was getting runarounds that it was in China, it was somewhere else, it was going to be used. No, we couldn't have it because they were going to use it in a new corporate headquarters, and then the new corporate headquarters wasn't going to be built, and then everybody just lost track of it. And then uh, Caterpillar got a new CEO several years ago, and um, myself and a couple of other guys at uh, the Inflaming Foundation, we, we got his email, and we just emailed him and told him what we've been trying to do for the last five years. Cutting a long story short, with a lot of stuff that went on between, but it basically came down to, oh, that's actually sitting in our archive warehouse. If you guys can get a low loader to the warehouse, uh, you can have it. Wow. Um, so we found a low loader um, and a guy <laughs> who could drive, <laughs> who could operate an excavator. Um, so yes, the three the Cat 320D excavator from Skyfall is now sitting in the Inflaming Foundation workshops. And uh, it, it was a very proud moment for me when, it, when I went up there and it was rolled in and, um, we got to got to sit in it and stuff and sit in the dummy cab and it's it's fun when you actually see it in the movie where Daniel Craig sits and stuff is a dummy cab that doesn't actually work hmm. the real cab on the real excavator is on the other side they took the cab off put a lay down chair so the stunt driver was basically lay on his back um, uh, manipulating it while Daniel Craig was in the in the dummy one on the other side messing around with with rubber <laughs> controls. Um, I love how they do that. All these things you tell me about are like, oh yeah, they're all totally fake. I'm like, man. Yeah. Yeah. And those things don't, those excavators don't normally have a nice convenient walkway over the top of the extending arm either. That was obviously I didn't. So that, um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So that, that, that's a very personal one for me. Um, that, that, that's, that's my machine. <laughs> that's, I know it's so, not my machine, but it's just a, oh know. yeah. It's awesome though. That's fantastic. Yeah. What a great story. So, yeah. All right, so we don't have to talk about that when we get in the movie. So let's start with the movie. Okay. Um, so again, no, no, um, no gun barrel sequence at the beginning this time. We start off with the uh, a s- sort of quasi nod to it. We get the two notes of the intro to the Bond theme, and then the out of focus figure walking down the corridor towards us, who comes into focus as Bond, which is mm-hmm. pretty cool. I like that. Yeah, I like that. And then we sort of, you know, he breaks into the room, and Bond finds a wounded agent. Um, and interestingly, you know, he wants to stop the bleeding here of his agent, as opposed to in Quantum of Solace, where he calmly watched somebody bleed out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, in this place, it sort of ends the call one over the voice earpiece saying, you know, mm-hmm. leave him alone. Um, and this is where we get into Mission Impossible territory. It's like, oh, the hard drive from the laptop's mif- missing yeah. um, with the list of all the agents on it. Again, Mission Impossible, first Mission Impossible movie. Um, so, OK, this is my first story point. All right. I apologize. I'm going to be asking a lot of questions as we go through this. And if you've got the answers, that's great. I doubt so, it. So <laughs> why would such an important p- file be on a hard top of an ordinary lap- a hard drive of an ordinary I've, laptop? At least in Mission Impossible, they had to break into Langley to get it. I've been wondering uh, what the backstory of that laptop computer was from the moment they said that the first time I saw it. Yeah. So why was it in that room? What was Ronson's mission? Was he, was he trying to stop it being sold to a third party? Um, if so, how did it get into the open in the first place? You know, and the other thing is, if Bond and Money Penny are so close that they can be there that quickly, were they meant to be Ronson's Ronson's backup? And if so, they failed spectacularly mm-hmm. by letting him get be killed and that thing get in the open. So already making mistakes. 
Yeah, it's just so strange. Yeah. Doesn't make sense. Oh, but no, okay. I, I kept thinking, surely they I'm like, well, who who put this incredibly super important piece of information on some random laptop? Or did they steal it and put and copy it onto the laptop and run away? And then why is there an agent there then? And why didn't he kill everybody and take it back? And I, I just don't understand these things. No, way too many questions that were never addressed. Never addressed. Never addressed. Okay, um, so basically Bond starts chasing the killer in the black Audi. We get the chase into the market. Um, and at one point, Bond and Moneypenny, but we don't know it's Moneypenny yet. They actually pull alongside Patrice in the Audi, and Bond actually looks through the window at Patrice. Why didn't he just shoot him? <laughs> They're yeah. side by side. Yeah. Okay, um, sorry, I'm going to be doing this a lot. Yeah, I uh, <laughs> We're ready. We understand. We're prepared. All right, so we get the chase into the market. Um which leads to the motorcycle chase, which is pretty cool. The motorcycle chase on the across the rooftops. Yeah, um, very really visually good. exciting. Very well done. Yeah. Yeah. Apart from the occasional CGI of Daniel's face onto the stuntman, which is a little obvious in a couple of places. See, now, I've always heard on a big that. Screen. I've always heard that, and I've watched this movie half a dozen times now, and I've never noticed it. So I guess I'm just not discerning enough to, of a viewer <laughs> okay. because I've never, I've never remotely been bothered by his face. But I've heard other people just say they can barely watch the scene for you know. Oh, I, I'm not that bad, but it, I just find it a little disconcerting because it, it, to me it's, it, it just jumps out in a couple of spots. But mm. yeah, and then we get we get them um, onto the bridge. I, I will say Bond using the momentum of crashing the bike against the parapet of the bridge to propel himself over the parapet and onto the train. I think is really cool. Yeah, that was cool, and and that's a good scene. All right, and then we get what I do. You sort of also get M and Tanner coaching Money Penny from London over the you know over the earpiece. It's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So they're on the train. Okay, another question time. What's with the hard drive as a necklace around Patrice's neck that they're fighting over? I don't even remember. Is, is that where it was? I don't even remember yeah. seeing it again. Yeah, I, it was on a necklace around his neck, and he, he and Bond, Bond was grabbing at it when they were doing it. Mean, wow. I, mean, I, I guess I just – that's so funny. It's like things that you just don't catch. I didn't – that never registered to me. If, if it's that important – wouldn't it be hidden somewhere like in a safe pocket or a pouch or something? Or, you know, he's working for a cyber terrorist. Wouldn't he have maybe had a laptop in the Audi and while he was driving, it could have been uploading to silver servers somewhere? <laughs> Am I overthinking the silver this server? too much? What does the silver <laughs> surfer have to do with this, Alan? You've, done, you've completely lost the plot yeah. now. We're, we're in Fantastic Four. I have, okay. Yeah, I have, I have lost the plot totally. So. <laughs> and I haven't even started medication yet. Um <laughs> So we, we we then get the the, the thing with the, with the excavator, um, which mm-hmm. is silly because you know as soon as that train wouldn't have gone anywhere because they would have somebody would you know the dead man handle would have been pulled or the yeah. I'm thinking, yeah. don't isn't there anybody actually driving this train? And if so, are they looking in the mirror at all? <laughs> are they are is anybody yeah. saying, dude, the, there's a giant war going on in the back of your train? For the love of God, stop! You know. <laughs> It's eating up your car and everything. But I did think it was very cool, though. I liked all the visuals of this opening segment. I, I, I mean, I didn't have – I mean, yeah, I, I agree with you on the various nitpicks for sure. But I didn't have a lot of problems with the opening sec, uh, segment just because it, it had some really interesting ideas and stuff that we hadn't really seen before. And I liked that. Yeah, I will say when I first saw this in the movie, and I was, you know, this is when I was like, "Wow, this is cool stuff." And then, mm. as I say, you know, sitting for with a beer and a pizza afterwards, it's like, "Hang on a minute." Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and every time I watch it, I get more "Hang on a minute" moments, mm. as you can clearly tell. So, mm. um, I mean, the one interesting thing is we actually do see Bond get a get a gunshot wound, albeit a ricochet wound here um, with the wound on the 
under the right collarbone, which they do play up. So I think this is probably the first time we've seen Bond, <laughs> Bond, Bond with a gunshot wound since Thunderball, isn't it? Mm. Mm. Maybe so. I don't remember any other. Well, let me ask you this, since you brought that up. Am I to understand, because it wasn't entirely clear to me the first time, but it, on subsequent viewings, the impression I got is that he is shot here and he survives, but he doesn't feel like himself anymore. And then when he comes back and is training and still not able to do a pull-up or whatever, he decides that maybe it's these fragments that he knows is in him, and so he digs them out, and then he's okay? Is that what oh, I'm... That, those, frag- those fragments caused me a, a, another problem later on. Um, but is it- no, I mean, yeah, yeah I think it, it's the, you know, he gets shot, he falls. I mean, he's he sort of, you know, believed dead, and he decides to, you know, basically run away and... yeah. Uh, hide because he's fed up of everything he does, and this is his chance to do it. Um, and then, you know. But wasn't the some kind? wasn't Wasn't it like some kind of radioactive bullet fragment or something? And that's what was holding him down. And so when he digs him out with his knife, suddenly he feels a lot better and can go back to being James Bond again. It was like kryptonite. That was the impression I got. Oh, okay. I thought he just dug them out because he he thought they they would provide a clue because you know. Oh, okay. As to, you know the who the who the the hitman was or whatever, because, you know, a bit like man with a golden gun, it's a particular yeah. makeup of metallurgy. I don't know. I'll have to look at that bit again. So he just, he, he keeps wincing and, and, and favoring that yeah, he arm. Does, yeah. And then he digs yeah. that out and I'm like, okay, well, I guess this is what was bothering him. That was just kind of the, the logical thought press process that my mind went through, but it may have been that, that his it bothering him made him think of it. And then he yeah. thought, well, I need it to identify, you know, whatever. And then he dug it out. So I, maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. Or because there's things after after he's dug it out where he still there's a couple of plot points around the fact that he can't use that arm properly. Yeah. Okay. After that. So. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, so he gets the gun, sh- the, the the shot from Patrice, and then because didn't they say that he uses radioactive bullets or something? Remember. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. So I was thinking maybe that was yeah. See. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. There's something there. from that point of view. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we get the the, the, the fight, and then we get M's uh, take the bloody shot. Yeah. Um, so Money Penny fires and hits Bond, and Bond falls off. But the only wound we ever see is the one that he got from the firefight with Patrice. Yes, that's true. Yeah. What happened with the bullet that she put in him? Yeah. Or, and didn't she did hit him right? I mean, she shot him. She shot him, yeah. That was my impression. Okay. So, and he falls vertically. He falls off a moving train, and he falls vertically. That would not happen. Yeah. <laughs> He'd actually, the momentum of the train would drive him into those rocks. And the, just the distance he fell and the way he landed with his neck first into that water, he'd be dead. I mean. I would think so. Yeah. Yeah. There's no way he'd survive that fall, then going over a waterfall. Yeah. I mean. Um, and I have another question. Because after Bond falls off the train, Patrice stands there, Money Penny's looking at him through the scope on her rifle, and he looks at her, and then he disappears into the tunnel. Does Money Penny only have one bullet in her rifle? <laughs> oh, no. Why didn't she shoot Patrice? Instead of just looking at him and wave, letting him wave as he disappeared. I, I guess this is why she's the secretary now, Alan. <laughs> it's just one so. of many reasons why this was her one and only out uh, field mission. All right, so so she gets to stay around, and Bond is basically kicked out of the the service, and only really brought back in because you know, well, uh, M knows that he can do the job, even though he's not. Well, in he's shape not even brought, brought back in because 
he, they believe he's dead. Right, so, right, right. Yeah, yeah. It's not like he's he's put, sent off anywhere. That's his choice. So, um, so as many anyway, as many mistakes as he makes in this movie, Money Penny doesn't do great either. No, none of them do actually. No, I think that's right. They all make mistakes, yeah. um, and we'll get to them. Other than maybe Mallory, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, pretty much they all make mistakes. Um, so we get him falling, which fo- and that leads into the the opening credit. So anyway, before we get into the opening credits, you got any other thoughts on the pre-credit sequence? Other no. than the fact that I mean, visually it, it was pretty cool. Yeah, that's it. Is that I, I agree with your observations, obviously. But I just think in terms of James Bond and all the things that crazy that happened in his opening sequences, I thought it wasn't bad. I thought it was a pretty darn good one. I I was mystified when I because you know we don't know who Money Penny is until later on in the right. movie. So I was yep. mystified that his his agent partner shoot, shoots him off the train and the bad guy gets away. Obviously that's setting up the whole rest of the movie. But when you see it all happen and you watch it play out and you've watched all the other James Bond movies, you expect that this opening sequence will have kind of a happy ending, right? And then it'll go into the credits and then we'll find out the actual mission or something. So it was, I I have to give them credit that they used the opening sequence to set up, as they've pretty much done, I guess, for all the Craig ones, they use it to set up the main plot as effectively as they could given what the main plot is. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it does set up it does set up the sequence of events, and you know the the MacGuffin and who the bad the initial bad guy is, and the mystery of the, the you know we've had it throughout all the Bond movies. The helper that when we first meet them, they don't know, we don't know if they're a good a good helper or they're an enemy. Or, you know, so yeah, I mean, it hit a lot of those notes. I, I will say that. Um, and like I said, the first time I saw it, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really good good action sequence. Um, it's just like I say way way too many qu- unanswered questions that. Often are very are answered later in the movie, and in this movie they're not. They're just completely ignored. Yep. So. Too much else going on later in the movie. They never get back around to them. So. Yeah. All right. So we have the opening credits. Skyfall. I will say, as much as I dislike this movie, I actually really do like Adele's Skyfall song. Oh yeah. It's one of my. Yeah. Absolutely. It's a very yeah. cl- it's a very classy Bond song. It. I mean, you. Yeah. You can't. You. It, you know. The only way you can get more Bond song than this would be to bring in. Uh, what's her name from from Goldfinger and and all that? Shirley so, Bassey. Yeah, yeah, that's the only way that you could get more Bond in this, right? She does a great job. Yeah, yeah, and this is the first Bond theme to win the Academy Award for Best Original Song. So mm. yeah, um, and again, I think Daniel Kleiman does a great job with the title sequence. Um, again, once you know the story of the movie, you realize the title sequence is actually telling you the story of the movie. Yeah, um, so that's pretty cool. And I actually do like the score by Thomas Newman for Skyfall. Um, it's. It, um, I like the score. I like the way it incorporates the Bond theme. I just didn't know it was the only Bond score that he had at the time, because um, of course he just recycled it in the next movie, which we'll talk about next month. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I actually do like the Thomas Newman score here as well. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do too. Um, so we start in London. We got we get location placards again. But uh, one of my pet peeves, as I mentioned last time, um, but not as egregious this time. They're, they're sort of more low key. Yeah. Um, and we get M in our office writing Bond's obituary. Um, like I said, pretty much right out of the, the novel, you only live twice. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and we get our first view of the bulldog ornament, which sort of becomes significant. Um, so I'm actually sitting, I've actually got, got one sitting on the corner of my desk too. So, oh, uh, that's cool. Alan, am I crazy or is it just like, I mean, maybe it just is just a powerful, powerful sequence or something, but I feel like in the Daniel Craig movies, and again, I have a hard time 
saying that there's only been four because it seemed like there should have been about 17 by now. But in the four Daniel Craig movies, it seems like a half a dozen times Bond either quits or is thought to be dead or both and comes back and then is gone again. It, it feels like he's just got a revolving door on, on MI6. And this is, I, 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 this can't be the only time. I can't be imagining that. I think sometimes it seems, I mean, this is only the third movie and, like we said, the first two are actually like one continuous story, and he's sort of mm-hmm. gone goes twice in that one, and then this one he sort of disappears, and then yeah, uh, yeah, I don't know. It seems to be a, you know the the going rogue going off and around. things seems to be a constant theme, and it's like a almost expected, and um, I think we just sort of project that in there because um, it's the way that the Bond movies, certainly the Daniel Craig Bond movies, just seem to have that sense. Yeah, that's my. Sense I don't of think. It. I, I don't think it happens as often as we think it does, but it just seems to be an under, underlying theme, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, my one thing with with M writing Bond's obituary here, I'm sure they would have canned obit- obituaries ready for any agent that works in the field. She wouldn't be writing one from scratch. She'd just it, they'd call it up and yeah, run it. But it's more powerful uh, this way. But it's it's a powerful little scene, especially you know what do you say about a man like this? It's yeah, it, it's pretty powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get the intro to Gareth. Mallory, basically M, um, you know, gets called to the headmaster's office, which is sort of cool. Um, so he's head of the oversight group and basically, you know, tells them she's going to be fired in two months. Um, so, uh, you know, um, so if Silver's thing was to discredit M and get her fired, he succeeded. So that's first, first even though we haven't met the, the villain yet, he's actually just succeeded in his first part of his plan. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the... Um, so again, this is more of a question for the end. But if, if if Mallory is the head of the oversight committee that M reports to, mm-hmm. then him becoming M at the end of this movie is that a demotion? Yeah, I, you know, I think it's one of those things, kind of like <laughs> it's 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 kind of like uh, in a sports team where somebody on the board gets to come down and be the head coach. So, yeah, sort of. Yeah. So so yeah. while on the on the one hand it's like a pay grade reduction. On the other hand, it's more direct responsibility and power. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's kind of a trade-off. Yeah, like again, I'm overthinking this movie. Um, <laughs> and then we get the exposition about the list. Um, so um, it's all right. I just thought I'd lost some of my notes. But anyway, so we get the exposition about the list. Um, mm-hmm. So that's Mission Impossible all over again. Um, and then M's computer, be- M's computer being hacked on our way back. To the um, to MI6. So, yeah, this is where you start getting those little animations and things, and we find out that our villain has a sense of a sick sense of humor that he's really toying with yep. her. He's teasing her. Yeah, that's interesting. Right. I was like, where are we going with this? That the first time because it just it, it you know it, it works especially well with her because she's so dignified and upright that yep. you just can see her turning purple and steam coming out, out of her ears when anybody taunts her or belittles her because you know usually she you know like in previous movies like in um in the brosnan one where she and the general were bickering back and forth i guess the uh, the second brosnan one tomorrow never dies he was right there with her and she could kind of you know she could counter attack and cut him down to size yeah. if she cut him if he cut her down to size but see now 
she's up against a faceless, nameless person that's getting the better of her, and there's nothing she can do. And the fr- you can just feel Judy Dench's frustration radiating out of the screen. I really that's one thing I really appreciate about her. I appreciate about her performance in this movie is how, without saying a lot, she's able to really convey this incredible sense of I'm about to lose my poop but i got to keep it together because i don't want him to get the this enemy to get the better of me and i'm also dealing with you know problems internally with my own government and i got to hold it together to deal with them too and so you know this really is m's movie in a lot of ways because she's having to spin a lot of plates she's happened to having to keep bond on a leash kind of and keep him under control and aim him at the enemy she kind of like has to go get him because she knows he's the one you know agent that can do something about it, even though he's not in his top form. So she, I mean, it's interesting, right? She's having to spin a lot of plates. She's having to let's look at it. She's having to deal with Bond. She's having to deal with her own government, and she's having to deal with an unknown enemy that she can't respond to. And then, and then she ends up having to face a physical threat at the end of the movie that's going after her life. You know, out her, she's having to physically fight. So this really is the most M movie of all the ones with Judy Dench, don't you think? I think it's the most M M centric movie of, of the whole canon. Um, yeah, and, yeah. And I think it really does play with that thing that uh, you know here she is with in a situation that she can't control. Um, mm-hmm. she's not pulling the string. You know, Silver's right to an extent that, she, you know, she is a manipulator. We've seen that in the other movies. Um, yeah. You know, she definitely did it, you know, with with both Brosnan and Craig's character that, uh, mm-hmm. you know, she, and I know it was two different M's, but, that you know, that, that she manipulated them both, um, you know, both their personal life and, the, and their emotions. So, yeah, you know, Silver's right. She is a manipulator. That's how she gets her job done. And in, in this situation, you know, she, she doesn't have that control. Um, and it does play on her very much. Um, and, and it, as you said, it's sort of a more a wider circle as well. It's not just having con- lost control over one thing; it's just gradually losing control over different things. And again, again, that's where Silver wins in the fact that she does start to lose control mm-hmm. over all these uh, various aspects of, of of her influence. So, yeah, very uh, a, a very again. Even though I've got problems with this movie, I think she uh, Judy Dench's performance in this is is really good. Yes, um, I agree. Uh, I agree completely. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we, we get the the bombing of the uh, the MI6 headquarters um, in in this movie. Um, so I thought that was uh, that was well done. Again, once with that realization that they actually weren't after her, they wanted her to see it. So again, just tormenting her, playing around with her, so um, mm-hmm. emotionally. So um, yeah, very cool. Um, and then we 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 go to the unnamed beach with Bond and the local girl and the Heineken commercial. <laughs> yeah, um, it is. <laughs> Um, again, nothing said here about how he survived or where he is or whatever. It's never addressed in any way. And he, you know, he didn't have to be an exposition dump, but again, a couple of lines of dialogue could have, you know, um, helped clear that up. Um, and I guess the whole thing in the bar with the scorpion wager is the whole thing of him, you know, he, he, his life is sort of cheap to him now and he's drinking to forget and mm-hmm. so forth until he sees the report about the MI6. Uh, bombing on the conveniently placed CNN report on the bar behind the bar on a beach in wherever it is. <laughs> yeah, so. it worked out pretty well. Yeah, yeah. So, where would movies be without C- CNN reports? <gasps> I know it. What What did they do back in the day? I don't even remember. You know, they they had to ha- they had just random generic newsman going this just in. You know, and they'd they'd listen to it yep. and then turn it off. I love how in every old movie, as soon as they hear the news bit they need for the plot, they immediately reach up and turn the TV off. Or the radio. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm actually going to 
<laughs> sidestep this one. But my favorite one is that somebody, the assistant rushes in and says, you've got to watch this. And then they turn, turn the TV on. Just as it's starting. Just as the guy says the important thing. And it's like, well, how did the assistant know he was going to say that? <laughs> exactly. God, these are things that have driven me crazy for you. That's that's basically old old movie and TV show shorthand, you know. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was allowed because every show, it was just like just like every telephone number is 555-whatever. And as an audience member, you're like, oh, it's that fake number. And yet you go along with it because it's a it's a convention that everybody used. And so, or, yeah, yeah, so that's, um, yeah, I, that is hilarious yeah. that that happens that way. That's right. All right. Okay. So we'll get, we'll get back to Bond. So, okay. So we, we get back to London. Um, and uh, M's looking at the coffins draped in the Union Jack and then is, is mm. brought home. Um, what, what happened to the bodyguard that she supposedly had used to have? Because um, <laughs> yeah. the driver just lets her out the car and she walks out from the car into her house. Not an apartment anymore. She's now in a house. Um, obviously, since her husband died, she's moved out of the apart- the secure apartment and is now in a house. Um, which, um, interesting enough, that house that they actually used is John Barry's old house. Oh, Wow. So apparently that was a little nod to John Barry was that the the house they used for that that location was John Barry's house in London. So <laughs> I wish I'd known that when I watched it. That's funny. I would have paid more attention. Um, and this is where Bond comes out of the shadows and says, "007 reporting for duty." Um, mm, yeah, <laughs> he's always again, messing with her. I do like their relationship. Easy, yeah, I do. But if it's that easy for Bond to break in, mm-hmm. why didn't Silver just do that or have Patrice do it and kill her there? <laughs> Yeah, you're making a lot shorter movie, Alan. I think we need to talk about screenwriting. <laughs> but, you know, I was... Go ahead. I want a job set. There needs to be somebody sat in the back of the writer's room going, hang on a minute. Um, <laughs> well, I, was, I think that I think that, that Judy Dench's M has really good chemistry with Daniel Craig. I, I do. I, I love I, the interplay here. I really do. I, I, hold, yeah. I love the, uh, you know, the, the, you know, don't expect to sleep here. Go and have a shower. Blah, blah, you know, I, yeah. I, all that sort of stuff. You know, we sold all. We, you know, you were dead, so we put all your stuff in storage. Hard luck. Go find a hotel. Blah, blah. <laughs> you know, I think it's yeah. I love all that stuff. It was it was really good. She, I mean, she had you know, she was decent enough with Brosnan because Brosnan's so charming and she's so you know good at her job that they they could mesh pretty well but you don't realize how much better it could be until you i mean that's one thing i will give daniel craig i usually don't think he is as likable and as you know of a human being as brosnan but they the one time in these movies that that he really seems more human is when he's dealing with her and that's that's interesting and yeah that's true they do they do have a much more maternal Mm -hmm. relationship in these movies and i think and, and particularly in this one um so okay so this is where we get the what the hell moment that we were talking about earlier um when she says you know the rules of the game you've been playing it long enough yeah and he says something about being played played out and it's like what the hell he was a rookie in the last movie and see what what, what did we miss this is exactly what we've been talking about from the beginning which is that this is a fine spy movie and it, it even can be a fine James Bond movie, but this is another one where when you understand it's the 50th anniversary, it makes more sense. Under any other circumstances, I don't think this is the direction they would have gone with this movie. I think the only reason 
that he's the older, worn-out Bond at the end of his line and everything. The very next movie after the two where he's a rookie is that it's the 50th anniversary. Otherwise, they have no reason to do that, no reason to go there for another couple of movies. It would be, it would be no time to kill would be the movie where they, had, where they did the Skyfall plot. You know, it's, it's like they moved it up right. a couple of movies because of the anniversary. And that, that bugged me the minute I figured out that it was the 50th anniversary. Yeah, this is this is, that's that's the the setup for the last movie, which it sort of seems it might be anyway. Yeah, um, with the whole retired and living in Jamaica thing. <laughs> but if that's the way they go, Alan, but, I I just I don't like when when external things affect the the plot and the characters of a movie. That bothers me, and it's so obvious right. that that's what happened here that it bothers me. Yeah, I mean they didn't need to do that. They could again that 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 little exchange could be taken out. Yeah. And it doesn't really make any difference. You know, he could have just come back because of MI6. And, you know, um, yeah. Again, if you take that out, it doesn't affect the rest of the movie. But all it does is cause so many questions. And again, there are so many things in this movie that cause so many questions that didn't need to be there. And that's one of them. So, And at one point, I did have an explanation to sort of how it fit in the continuity. But then Spectre blew all of that out of the water. So I'm not even going to go there. Um, yeah. But uh, so we... We then get the the use of the war room tunnels for um, the replacement MI6, which is pretty cool. I, I like that. Um, you know, I've mm-hmm. seen a lot of documentaries about all the stuff that's down there and the, um, you know Churchill's war rooms and the tunnels and stuff. So, you know, reusing those that they're, they're there, it, it makes a lot of sense. Um, don't know, don't know what level of truth that is about it being a backup for MI6 or anybody else, but it's it's a cool idea. I like it. Yeah, yeah, I do too. I, I like it a um, lot get, better than a big obvious building on the banks of the Thames that just basically has a target stuck on the side of it. Well, but that is MI6. So. I, <laughs> I mean, know, but uh, it's yes. still... At least that's the real building. Um, they so, kind of inherited yeah. it, though. It wasn't really built for them. I was reading about that, that that building was built for something else, and it ended up not getting used for it. And then the government was kind of like, well, what are we going to do with it? we got this really fancy building here, and they're like, well, let's put MI6 in it. And it's like, why would you do that? I mean, they did it just because they had it available, but it just seems like a really strange choice to me in yeah, real life. I guess. But anyway. Yeah. Is it any more strange than Langley having its own campus? And oh, well, the Pentagon is a giant bullseye. I used to live across the street from it, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Pentagon, yeah. So. Never. Um, all right, so then we get uh, the training montage scene, um, which is basically used as an expedition dump, so Tannik can tell Bond everything that's going on, so... Um, mm-hmm. And then we get the word association scene, uh, where the int- the use of Skyfall in the, there makes no sense whatsoever. Um, in that word association, I've always wondered about that. I mean, it's like I, mean, I, I don't, I don't, I don't understand it. Because I mean, he uses, you know, the the psychiatrist says the word Skyfall, and Bond like walks out and said, "That's it, we're done." Mm-hmm. Why? But then when he gets, but then when he's in need, where's the first place he goes? To yeah. Skyfall. Did, so, the, did the psychiatrist plant that idea in his head kind of accidentally and make him think of it then? or I mean, I mean, it was there so that when we, later in the movie, we as the audience, when he drove past the sign that said Skyfall, we all went, oh. Right. But, I mean, yeah. that's the only reason it was there. Yeah. It was, was to sort of preempt that. But um, Well, it was. Like, I yeah. like the psychiatrist scene up until then. I like they had some pretty clever yeah, back the word association forth. game was pretty clever up until that point. Up, yeah, like, I agree. That's so. such an obvious foreshadowing plant. That it was. The thing is, when you saw it in the movie, in the trailers, it was like, ooh, I wonder what that means. That's mm-hmm. obviously really something deep. Um, 
and in the end, it didn't. I, yeah, I know it's where he lived when his parents were killed, and you know, we they said he never went back, but they never really played up on that trauma either. So uh, no, yeah, so. yeah, it really ended up not meaning a lot. It could have been any building, you know. I mean, that yeah. was the thing is it 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 really ultimately had no meaning at all. And that was it, yeah. it. Just was a like you said. It just became home alone, and and you know, I, I'm I'm going to steal something you were probably all excited to say later. But then again, this may be common knowledge. The caretaker at the end was supposed to be Sean Connery, and that would have been the only way that Skyfall had any real significance. Was it would be an excuse to have Sean Connery come on there with Albert Finney? It's just like it could be anybody, anywhere, anything. So my understanding is that when they originally wrote it, they wrote it with Sean Connery in mind, but they never approached Connery or had any discussions because when Barbara Broccoli heard the idea, it was like, no, that will not work because it will just throw everybody out of the movie. Oh, okay. Um, I didn't hear that. That's interesting. Okay. Um, so that that's that's my understanding is it never really got – really went very far with that idea. But okay. um, right. anyway. Um, Still would have been neat. And then we get to, we, we, we get to the thing where – as you said, he's doing the sort of the, the pull-ups and his shoulders hurting, uh, and they're talking about trying to figure out who the um, Tanner's talking about trying to figure out who the, the bad guy was, and that's when Bond goes and pull, digs out the bullet shards mm-hmm. out of himself. Again, Mister Nitpick here. Okay, <laughs> he'd just been through a whole MI6 medical to see if he was test to see if he was good enough to go back in to right. service. Wouldn't they have done X-rays? And seeing those shards, and maybe had I don't know a doctor remove them. You know, well, I don't know. I'm sure Doctor. I'm sure Doctor Molly Wallflash is hanging around somewhere. Um, you know. <laughs> well, that's what I kept wondering: is why is he just now dealing with this? Yeah, wouldn't wouldn't they have spotted that during his medical exam and removed them wouldn't surgically you? properly? Wouldn't you think? Mm. Yeah, yeah, you would have so. thought. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. All right. Um, so Bond goes he's waiting to meet with M um, so he's in that little side room on his own waiting to meet with M um, I'm going to get on my Daniel Craig sartorial thing here <laughs> I hate his suits sorry guys who are into the suits and the clothes I hate Daniel Craig's suits I, I don't know it's maybe just being a grumpy old guy but <laughs> why are they so tight and short they look like they're two sizes too small for him Every every other Bond looks stylish in a suit. To me, Daniel Craig just looks like a thug. He just looks like a white boy. Um, I, I think if they were very much bigger, though, he doesn't seem like a very big guy. If you made him very much bigger, he'd seem like a clown in a way, you know? They'd like- but they don't seem tailored to him to me. I mean, I know they are tailored, but to me, they just don't seem... I mean, you compare Daniel Craig's in the suits in that to Connery and the way Connery looked in Goldfinger. Oh, yeah. It's just no comparison. No, I he looks scruffy. I, I just don't. He looks good in the tux. Everything else, mm-hmm. I, that just drives me nuts. Mm-hmm. It's like go buy clothes that fit. But, <laughs> but I think it's the thing because when we went to our nieces and nephews' wedding last year in England, and the, all the all the guys were in their own suits, and they all looked like they were two sizes too small to, to me. So it's like I don't know. I'm just I'm just an old fart. It's just a thing now, it. apparently. It's just a thing. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, so we get the Bond and Money Penny repartee about her shooting skills and being pulled out of the field, which is pretty good. Um, but again, Bond says that she should have given him a warning about the shot. But earlier on, he said that he heard M say, take the bloody shot. So he must have been hearing the whole exchange in his earpiece. So he had a mm. warning that she was going to take the shot. Yeah, he should have hit the deck and then yeah, and then let them shoot. Yeah. I'm surprised but- that M didn't say, Bond, get down. Yeah, 
and then shoot. So him saying you didn't give me a warning, he actually heard it because yeah. he said he'd heard the because he, first time he says to M, he says something about he quotes her saying, "Take the bloody shot." So he heard it. So mm-hmm. all right, again, I'm nitpicking. Um, fair, all right. fair question. Okay, um, so we get the whole remark. So he goes into CM. Um, we get the remark about the whole office going up in smoke and the bulldog ornament is the only thing that survives. Again, with the, like a lot of things, that would have worked a lot better if we'd have seen the bulldog ornament on a desk in every movie up to that point. Yeah, it didn't have. It, it was. Clear, I mean, it's a cute thing. It was clear in the movie that it was supposed to mean something significant and emotional, and yet I didn't get that. No, because it's the first we see it. One of the times you know, we, see it, we see it three times in this movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you know. Once at the beginning, here in the middle, and once at the end. Um, it, mm-hmm. Like I say, if it had been something that had been established earlier on, um, I, you know, I don't know. So, it's a cute thing. Like I say, I've got one sitting right here, but it just emotionally doesn't carry anything. It doesn't carry any weight. So, um, yeah, I agree. All right. Okay. So, yeah, we get um, lies to put him back into active service. Um, one thing I do love here is we actually get M giving Bond a mission. She sends him on a mission to find the list and eliminate Patrice. Yeah. Love that. It's like, here's a job, go do it. That's what I miss in Bond movies, is here's a job, go do it. Mm-hmm. So. I, I felt like I felt like Bond should have known he didn't qualify. I found right. I found it hard to believe that he could do, you know, shoot the way he was shooting and not be able to do a pull up and all that. And then be like, oh, I passed. I mean, I would. I yeah. thought that he would say, like, you know, oh, I know I didn't pass. They, she must, you know, value me in other ways to make sure that I was, you know, cleared for duty. Not, I didn't pass. Right. Of course, that 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 just struck me as very disingenuous somehow. Yeah, I mean, I can see him not saying anything because it being like M and his little secret. You know, M says you you pass for duty, and he's like, oh, okay, not not wink wink. Right, but when Patri- uh, Patrice, when Silver says to him later, "Did you pass?" and he's like, "Oh yeah, I passed," and it's like, "No, no, no, no." Yeah, that just didn't work he, for me. He at should all. have said to Silver, "No, it was you know, no, I didn't. You know, I, right. I knew what she was doing. She wasn't manipulating me. I knew what she was doing." Right. Um, yeah. Um, and again, you know, I, I like the fact he sent out on a mission, but MI6 really needs to find Patrice, the assassin who stole the hard drive containing all the NATO information. Okay, so their plan: they send 007 on his own to find him the oldest apparently the oldest field agent who's just failed a physical and mental test and the only person that patrice ever saw face to face yeah <laughs> oh God. wouldn't you send, wouldn't you send somebody else or two people or send bond plus a back to identity idea idea and send back up uh, uh, yeah okay i know it's a bond movie um but, <laughs> um all right but it's it's going to be a more realistic bond movie so you know um yeah, I think there's a bit of taking Eden it here, um, and then we get we get the whole scene of Bond meeting Q at the art gallery. I think that's cute. The whole thing about the quartermaster hasn't set up shop yet is a bit again disingenuous because by the next time we're in the in London, he's got a fully functioning lab. That's so true. That that's in. true. I didn't that. Yeah, that I, I. It's one of those things that I kind of knew inherently, but yet it didn't register. That yeah, you're right. He yeah, he already had everything set up in five minutes. So. But yeah, yeah, I did. I really did like that scene, though. I like Wishaw. I love I loved the scene in the art gallery. The repartee, the symbolism is, is really great. That you know, the whole mm-hmm. you know, there's a gun and a radio. We don't go in for, you know, 
poison poison <laughs> pens anymore or exploding <laughs> pens or whatever. Yeah, that, that was that was good. Uh, didn't last very long, obviously, with the, the next couple of movies, which are full of gadgets. But mm. yeah, I, I like that. Um, I think Ben Whishaw is great as Q. I, I wasn't too sure on the idea of a much younger Q, but I think he's he's great. You know, I can do more damage in a uh, in my pajamas in the morning on my laptop that you can do in the field in a week. And while stuff. I'm I, while I'm sipping my Earl Grey or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, <laughs> really good. Um, so I, I think, and I, I like that relationship uh, and the repartee between the two. I think he's is really good. A very different type of Q, but it really works here. I think. Um, and the interesting thing is, I'd forgotten that this was the first time we'd seen Q. I'd sort of, I've always always sort of thought that he was always there for the Daniel Craig movies and I know we've just done the previous two and he wasn't in it but it's just again that mental thing of what is a Daniel Craig Bond movie is that Q is always like has been there as long as Judy Dainty's M which is not the case but mm-hmm. just mental picture I think he just that relationship was established so quickly that it just seemed to be a permanent part of, of the Craig era even though it hasn't been if, yeah that's true yeah. I think you're yeah. right And we have to pause here for just a second. Alan and I will get right back into Skyfall in just a moment. But first, we have to thank the folks who keep our programs on the air across our entire White Rocket Entertainment Network. For as little as a dollar a month, you can join their ranks. Just go to www.plexico.net, P-L-E-X-I-C-O.net. You will find their links to everything that the White Rocket Entertainment Network does, from books and comic books to podcasts about James Bond, about sports, and all the entertainment shows that we do here on the White Rocket Podcast and all the other things that I'm involved in. And you also will find a great big link that goes to the Patreon page and you can join it and there are a number of benefits you get for being a member. But mainly, you know that you're keeping our show going and keeping all of our shows on the network going for the foreseeable future. So for as little as a dollar a month, though we certainly appreciate more, you can be part of the White Rocket family and know that all of us here, and I especially appreciate you very much. Our current supporters include Matthew Flowers, Carl Von Drunker, Samuel Salvatore, and Christopher Burleson, along with Phil Amthor, Ben Spooner, William Glenn Matthews, Gary Grant, Wynn Carroll, Brian Gray, Winston Boddy, Willie Carden, Tom Anderson, Susan Trawick, Logan Chilton, Stephen Thompson, Chris Usher, Steve Trawick, and Richard Stevens. We also have Clinton and Christopher Stewart, Mickey B, William Morgan, Phil Davis, Joshua Corbett, John Otsuki, Preston Settle, Daniel Odom, AU Falling Up, Alchemist Kevin Smith, Clarence Alford, Will Summerford, David Hegler, Johnny Caldwell, Theodore Gary, Reynolds Wolf, Joel Beckham, Valiant Hermes, Jacob and Robin Fleming, Clay Henson, Ann Kangian, Catherine England, George Gaston, John McCune, David Evers, Timothy, Steve Harlan, Dan Thompson, Wes Atkinson, Rich Reimer, Hugh Anderson, Blake Heron, Steve Houston, Cato the Barner, Danny Flack, Papa Todd, Russell Milling, Kevin Canoy, Don Zederman, Ross, Lane Middleton, Shannon Butson, Randall Walker, Shane Bailey, Mick Vigicana, Chris Thrash, Tony Perry, Alex Nguyen, Josh Teal, David Simpson, Earl Ricks, Mike Finley, and C.T. Wayne. And finally, we have Jeremy Minton, Wardam Wade, Spanky, J.W. Rice, Jason Albrick, Russell Souther, Paul Bankson, Joseph Iliff, Justin Bean, Kevin Mahan, Stephen Wyatt, Trevor Johnson, Auburn Elvis, Robert Drain, Brandon Smith, Royce Alvarez, Thomas Brinson, David Smiley, Matthew Wagstaff, Donnie Reynolds, Wade Carson, Ivor Evans, John Zavachin, Michael Morton, Lawrence Kane, Darren Pyle. We're almost to the end, but we appreciate all you guys. Chris Camo, 
Ben Amos, Ruth and Darren, Sutherland, Patrick Williams, Rob Morgan, Stephen Schuster, James Taylor, John Stubbs, Kenneth Brent Rains, Nicholas Craig, Joseph Miller, Mark Squire, Chris Brent Rumble, plus our great Surfer Chickify and our anonymous and occasional and one-time donors. We appreciate all of you so much. Just go to www.plexico.net to sign up. All right, so we moved to Shanghai. You can tell it's Shanghai because it's a different blue color wash than the, the, the light gray one of London. It's now a neon blue color wash. Um, um, we get Bond in the hotel pool. Um, does he only own one pair of blue swimming trunks? I know. Um, and in the bar. Um, and what, talking of Bond, these clothes again. What's with the 1950s crew neck sweater with a tie? Um, <laughs> You can you tell to, I had fun with this movie. You need to get a hold of the uh, wardrobe people and just smack them around because they're letting you down. Well, well like I say, no, they, they, they're probably way more tuned into fashion. I'm just a boring old fart. <laughs> um, um, so he goes to the airport, um, disguises himself as a chauffeur by putting a hat on. Very, very smooth. Um, <laughs> and then follows Patrice from the airport to wherever he's going. So... Um, so before we get into the Patrice elevator fight stuff and all my nitpicks around that, have you got any sort of thoughts on what we've just talked about so far? Yeah, no, no, not beyond what we've already talked about. Let's let's move along. I'm saving my ammunition for when I need it. So yeah, no. Okay, well, yeah, I, I haven't even started yet. Um, <laughs> so Patrice gets in the elevator. Okay, have you ever got in an elevator and not turned around and watched the doors close? Yeah. <laughs> have you ever just done that and stared at the back wall? Probably not, now that you mentioned no, it. No, nobody ever gets in an elevator and not turn around and watch the doors go. But here we get Patrice, the trained assassin. He walks into an elevator, which has got three glass doors, three glass walls, doesn't look out of any of the glass walls, just stares at the, at the steel door in front of him while it goes up, not checking his periphery, not checking the ground, not checking to see if anybody's following the trained assassin. Really? All done so Bond starts to position him so he doesn't see Bond running across the lobby and jumping up and grabbing hold of the elevator. Um <laughs> Yeah, stupid. Um, it's a contrivance. Yes, Bond, exactly. So, you know, and Bond, uh, Bond's hanging onto the bottom of the elevator, and he stops. He takes his uh, left arm off because of the, the injury. Obviously, still hurting. He can't mm -hmm. grip it. That's right. So the elevator stops. Bond drops down to the floor below, goes to the prize open an elevator door what what arm does he use to prize open the no. shut elevator door? I didn't notice that, but I'm going to go ahead and believe you here. He uses his left arm that two seconds ago wasn't strong enough to grip mm -hmm. but it's strong enough to pull open a ele uh, shut elevator door yeah alright um, go ahead and believe you there I'll okay. give you the benefit will, of the doubt I will say that when he gets up to where Patrice is the multi-glass panels with the neon light reflections and stuff I think it's a very cool set yeah Cinematography it is with the, with, the, with the silhouettes and the shadows and stuff it looks beautiful it really does um, alright um, so but again watching it it seems to me that Patrice, because when Patrice is there and he's starting to set up, he stops, hesitates, and looks around towards the entrance. He seems to sense or know that Bond's there or somebody's there, but he calmly carries on. Um, and Bond just sits there and watching, set up his sniper, sniper rifle, cut a hole in the window, aim, and shoot some random guy in cold blood. Hmm. If Bond was there to kill him and find stuff out, why didn't he do it that before he murdered another apparently innocent guy? Yeah, and isn't this... This this is very reminiscent of a scene. Is it Inspector when they when he shoots the when he's the guy doing the shooting across the alleyway into the building with the people having a meeting? It just seems all very familiar to me. Is what I'm saying. 
Yeah, I remember oh, okay. in, at the beginning of Spectre, Daniel Craig is the one. You know, Bond is the one that's taking the sniper shot across at the glass at the building on the other side. And um, and he because remember he blows up the building and he has to run and it falls down under him and everything. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. But those are those are bad guys. We know who those are. Yeah, I mean, he's taking, out, taking out quantum. Uh, Spectre agent. He's uh, just, he's just, it's just sort of the shoe on the other foot. All right. Yeah, yeah. Here's my question about that scene then. What the heck is going on? I mean, I know that Bond is there trailing the assassin guy that he's trying to catch and all that, but what is going on in the other building where the guy's shooting into? It's like they know this is about to happen, right? Is this a setup? Yeah, I, I mean, it's a setup. That guy's obviously been brought in to look at this stolen painting. But for some reason, Silver wants him dead and has paid Patrice to kill him. I, 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 from again, another building? Why? Yeah, why from another building when there's at least three of Silver's henchmen in the room with the guy? Yeah, I just that didn't make any sense to me. And they act, no. they act so casual about it. It's like they expect him to get shot. He does. They're not yeah. surprised. And they go on about their business. It just It was so weird. I and just, again, never explain, never... No. You know. Um, so the interesting thing is, so that um, painting, which, by the way, another thing, they blow that guy's head off. Don't you think that painting would have got brains and blood splattered? That's what I was wondering too, right? It's like none of this makes a whole lot well, of sense. When they drag him away, it's perfectly clean. Because when Bond mm-hmm. looks across at Severine and she stood there, the p- painting is immaculate. Um, so mm-hmm. that painting is called uh, Woman with a Fan. Mm-hmm. Um, it was painted in 1919 by an Italian artist, Modiginelli. I probably got that wrong. Anyway, um, but it was actually, this is sort of a throwback to Dr. No, where there was a stolen painting in Dr. No's um, layer, the Duke of Wellington oh, painting. This, yeah, was yeah, actually, yeah. this was actually a stolen painting. At the time of the movie, this painting had disappeared. It was stolen in, stolen in 2010. <laughs> ah, that's great. I like that. Uh, and apparently, it's Inspector. It's actually hanging on Madeline's room in Blofeld's facility in Morocco, Inspector. So I'll have to keep an eye out. For oh, it. that's cool. Okay, that's good. That's that's. I like okay. that. I like that a lot. That works. I I would have had no idea, and I'm not sure how I'm supposed to know that. But no, I didn't either until I was doing the research, and I thought, well, that's cool. That, that's cool. So yeah. Um. All right. So that was one of those if you know moments, a bit like the one with the Duke of Wellington and Doctor No. You know, if you, if you know about the paintings, it's there. Um, so we get the fight, which is a really well choreographed fight, but again, doesn't really make much sense. Um, and then um, in between the glass, and then Patrice goes out the window, and he falls before revealing anything. Um, again, here, they do it where basically, you know, he's hanging out the window, and Bond's handing, holding on with his arms. And Patrice sort of lets go. Why didn't they use the fact that Bond couldn't grip him with his left hand? And I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. to, you know, but uh, Patrice just lets go and falls. Um, and then Bond finds the, uh, the casino chip in Patrice's case. Um, if, the, if the casino chip was for the sniper job, why did they give it to him before he'd actually done the job? Yeah. It, it, was, it, was it all a setup to, to lure Bond to Macau uh, we'll, or whatever? We'll get, to that. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that. That's on my list. All right. And okay. if, if the payoff was for the, him stealing the list, why did he have it in his sniper's case? Yeah, just I was wondering that too. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, anyway. All right. Okay, so we then get back to London and we're in M's uh, house and she's got uh, her laptop has clearly been hacked again. And there's a big thing that says click here. 
So what does she do? <laughs> she thinks about it for a minute and she clicks there, doesn't she? <laughs> she clearly has not been on this year's mandatory consumer security refresher course at work. <laughs> That's great. I have to go through them every year at work. <laughs> Don't Every company click. I work for, yeah. you go on these you know, 20 minute videos about not to click if it's a suspicious email. Um, yeah. Well, but she's she, my six. She is an old lady, though. Why didn't she just put it down? Get on the phone. Call a cybersecurity call, specialist. Have call him come IT. In, pick up <laughs> the IT guy comes over. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, you, yeah. You don't really want to yeah. push that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But no, she clicks it and thereby activates the YouTube account, outing the embedded agents around the world. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Like I said, M makes mistakes too. She that is. she shouldn't be making, doing Every, things that she shouldn't. Everybody be does, isn't it? Yep. Yep. You're right. All right. Um, so we jump to Macau. Money Penny turns up unexpectedly to give Bond a very close shave, um, mm. which uh, apparently, you know, um, she's there spying on him for Mallory. So we still don't quite know who she is. Right. She fits in. Um, and then we get Bond and Money Penny in the casino. Um, I do like Bond's callback to Casino Royale when she touches her ear with her earpiece in and he's like, don't touch your ear. Stop touching your ear. Apparently, Bond is the only one that went to that class. Yes, yeah. He went to class, even if M didn't. So, okay. Um, and the innuendo suggests that basically the two of them had pretty much slept together the, after the shave. I do get that sense, yes, which is, which is unexpected and interesting, huh? Interesting and has an interesting payoff later on, which we'll talk about. Um, so, again, I'm just coming up with questions all the way through this. Why did they give Bond the payoff money when they know he's not Patrice? So he'd have a thing to swing around and hit people with. Is it to find out who he is? But they it's all a him. setup. But it's all a setup, so Silver knows who he is. But 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 yet, yeah, they tried to kill him. But why? Yeah, they try to kill him. But why? If they want him to go to the island and and meet Silver and get his whole do his whole thing, then why did they try to kill him? Kill Just him. to yeah. test him, or I mean, yeah. I don't, I don't All right. Understand. So anyway, he meets Severine. I think she's a great character. I love the conversation here. I think there's brilliant acting from her. Um, that whole thing about, do you know what fear is? And he says, oh, I know all about fear. And she's like, not like this. And that, that just that shaky hand reaction when he asks to meet her employer. Um, I just, it's just so subtle, but so brilliant. I think she's really, uh, a really interesting character. Um, <sighs> I'm very divided on her. What's her name again? Severine is the character's name. Severine, yeah. Okay. When we when we first meet her in the in that bar in is it in the Macau? casino? Yeah. Is yeah, Macau? Macau. Yeah. She's very interesting, and yeah, yeah, she she yeah she does that facial. She's very good at doing that facial thing where. All right, and that's another bone I have to pick, by the way. Um, and I don't want this to sound negative. Again, I have positive, more positive things to think about this movie than I used to, but we're still kind of going through the, the scene by scene, that I like the performance she gives, which is kind of like she flinches. Yeah. That's good. But then later when we meet Silva and deal with him through part of the movie, I'm left going, why was she afraid of him? Because he never struck me as, as scary of a Bond villain as a lot of them. He... I can think of a lot of Bond villains that Severine should have flinched at the mere mention of his name, and this guy is, to me, not not one right. of we'll, them. We'll, we'll get to that when we get to yeah. the Islanders. But yeah, yeah, I, I'm with you here. Yeah. Um, so then we get the whole kimono dragon pit, which again is, I, 
Kimono dragons don't attack people. Yeah, I didn't think that that was exactly accurate. I thought they kind of like juiced it up a little bit, you know. Just well, they were they were CGI anyway because they couldn't use real kimono dragons. So, but yeah. uh, I did the research I did. I think there's been like six attacks in the, like the last twenty years or something. Um, yeah. Well, it was more of a callback to the uh, alligators in. Uh, exactly. Never I mean, say never. Bond again. doesn't. I mean, uh, I mean, Bond. Bond leaves his Walther in the in there. He doesn't pick it pick it back up and i think that, that was just so they could do the callback to him stepping over the back of the dragon to get out and yeah back to him stepping over the, yeah, yeah that was what struck me about it yeah live yeah. and let die uh and talking about the goons they only decide to start using the guns after they've already been beaten up um <laughs> so um one nice thing here is we do get a hint of the bond theme as he leaves them all behind it in the casino and stuff and he's given money penny the money and stuff so that, that that's cool uh mm-hmm. All right. Uh, so then we get to Severine's yacht. Uh, very, very uncomfortable with this scene. We got the traumatized, frightened former sex slave and sex worker. And Bond just walks in on the sh- in, in on, on her in the shower naked. And uh, yeah, I, I know she sort of reciprocates, but I don't know. That just is a whole icky moment for. That's where I was going a minute ago, and I kind of lost the thread. Was when we when we see her in the bar, I like her okay. Everything after that with her, to me, it's like it's a completely different character. She, yeah. any any confidence that she had, any bravado that she had, any you know relying on him that she had or whatever is all gone, and she's just completely a victim, completely a a nothing character. There's she starts out so interesting, and it all just goes right out the window the minute that they're in the shower. She's yeah. never an interesting character again. Her plight yep. becomes interesting briefly, but I'm kind of like with Bond there, where by the time that she gets shot, he doesn't care, and I didn't either. You know, I mean, it's sad. Well, I mean, I, I but I, I did for the other way because I thought it was a waste of a tragic character who was so full of potential, and they did nothing. Um, yeah, yeah, and they did nothing with her. Yeah, yeah, they set up such an interesting character that they could have, I know, explored so many different facets of that. Um, and they just they just wasted it. Mm-hmm, um, literally in, in both senses of the word yeah 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 that's right yeah. yeah and by the way that must have been a long voyage because that's from macau to that island is just off the coast of japan so that's quite a long voyage it is a wide uh, way yeah yeah um so bond sends uh, his radio signal as they're approaching the I- island um, with all his tech didn't silver wouldn't silver be able to pick up the fact that <laughs> well but he but he wanted it to happen see that person, again that, yeah yeah it's yeah. all everything that happens that silva can't control in this movie later out you later on you find out he absolutely did control which i can't decide if that's brilliant or a total cop out over and over and over well you'll get we'll get to my big list in a minute hmm. um so um so bond is tied up by the so the Turn up. Severine's tied up. Why is she tied up and in trouble? Because she did what Silver wants. I was wondering that too. What is the deal here? Absolutely. Yeah. Why? Why is she suddenly in his bad books? Again, never explained. Never explained. Um, Yeah. Why does he shoot her? Clearly, he he employs really substandard goons because none of them actually bothered to search Bond's clothes while they were (laughs) tying him up or anything. Yeah. Um, What could possibly go wrong? Just don't worry about it. Yeah. And now we get to our Silver Surfers. We get a a full room of Silver Surfers. So, that's uh, Norinrad uh, one, Norinrad two. Two, yeah. That's yeah. Galactus over there. Yeah. Oh, um, where did he get his internet connection from? Yeah, I was wondering I that. that I was yeah. wondering that. He's on this island. Satellite. With 
I didn't see any satellite dishes. No, um, no. All right. I will say the one-shot monologue entrance of Silver is one of the best villain entrances. Um, and that one-shot, one take of him telling that story is really cool. I'm going to say it's iconic, but only because of, uh, what's the actor's name? It's blank, I'm blank, I'm going blank. Javier Bad. But only because Bottom Bottom does such a great job with it. Because yeah, oh yeah, no, it's a great piece of acting. He comes down the elevator, he gets out, and he walks forward past a bunch of computers. To me, that's boring. That's not a great reveal. But yeah, story tells. It's the way he's telling the story along the way, as you can't see him off in the distance, and he slowly comes into focus in in more ways than one. Yeah, that is effective, and it is iconic. I agree. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we get the whole backstory um, again, and you know, and he reveals that he's an agent under M, and that she was he was manipulating her, and he shows Bond that she's manipulating him too. As again, I think here Bond should have shouldn't have um, acquiesced to that. I think there should have been something where Bond and M knew that you know they were working together. So, um, um, and then Silver's so com- confident that he unties a double O agent and then shows off with mm-hmm. all these guards. Feet of Bond, no backup, no snipers on the roof. Um, yeah. Um, and then we get uh, the, the jewel scene, which we just talked about, which I think is, uh, again, is uncomfortable and the waste of a really great character full of potential. Um, so. Yes, absolutely. All right. Okay, and this is another spot where I could have ended the movie because basically at, what, at the end of that, just as the helicopters are turning up, Bond has silver at gunpoint. Mm-hmm. So why didn't he just shoot him, go in the server room, pick up the laptop with the list on it, get in a helicopter, go home, case closed? Because it's 2012, Alan, <laughs> and every freaking movie, I've been waiting to do this, every freaking movie that came out in 2012 had to include a scene where the villain ends up in an interrogation transparent box room. It happens in Star Trek Into Darkness with Khan. And it happens in the Avengers with Loki in that box that was made for Hulk. And it happens in Skyfall. It's like there was a rule that year that every villain had to end up briefly in a transparent box to be in, in, uh, in, interrogated and then escape. They all escape. <laughs> it's, it, it's insane. I remember when I, I, this may have been the third of the three. And I remember watching it going, are you kidding again? They did this again? All right, so we're now going to get to my list. So you said that. The All transparent right. cage. The transparent cage is what set me off. Okay. <laughs> Here we go, yes. Are you ready for this? Yeah. Okay. So you we ready for this? The, we get the guy. We, we get to this. So we already talked about the fact that Q suddenly has a fully functioning lab. Yes. Okay. And then he plugs Silver's computer, the, the, the computer that came from the cyber terrorist, he plugs it into the MI6 network on a hardwired Ethernet cable. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes. All right. So here we go. For Silver's plan. Okay. Silver's plan makes no sense. So I have to write this down. So, okay. <laughs> so he wanted to get caught and then escape and find M. Okay. That was his plan. I, I guess. Okay. All right. For that to work, he needed one, Patrice to die at the hen- hands of MI6 so they could find the chip. Mm-hmm. He needed to make sure Patrice had the Macau ch- casino chip. Mm-hmm. He had to assume that James Bond would go to the casino after finding the chip and cash it. He had to assume that James Bond would find the girl, Severine, proceed to not get killed by her three bodyguards. 
assume that Severine would like James Bond enough to offer him to join her on the boat based on her secret desire to find a man strong enough to kill Silver. He would assume that James Bond would be wearing a tracking device to the island so MI6 could find choppers to arrest him. He would assume that MI6 would hook up his, his computer to their mainframe instead of an isolated server. Assume that somebody would work out the encryption key to send the command to open all the doors, including the one to his glass cage, at exactly the right time. And assume that there would be no mechanical locks to his cell, even though they were in a World War II underground bunker. <laughs> That's good, yes. Yep, yep. Okay, all right. Now, assuming that all makes sense, which it doesn't, <laughs> there's still no way he could have worked. So this, what this, the escape from the glass thing, he actually taunted the armed guards in front of him that he was going to leave. He stood up, zipped up his suit, and smiling, though, he said, when they said, are you going somewhere, he knowingly smiled. Okay. Are you telling me that those guards could not, in the time that that door opened, because he went from that cage to a grate that was, what, six feet away? Mm-hmm. You're like. telling me that those highly trained armed guards did not have enough time to take out their handguns when they saw that cage door open and stop him getting to that grate. Oh, boy. <laughs> okay, and I'm, I, I've got one more. Okay. No, I'm All right. So Bond chases Silver through the tunnels, nearly catches him, but Silver blows up a tunnel ceiling as a train is passing by. Did he know he was going to be almost caught in that room as a train was passing above? Or did he plant explosives in every tunnel just in case? <laughs> I didn't think about that. Yeah. And they'd established that it was rush hour because Bond could hardly get on the trains with all the number of people and the crowded platforms. Yet when that train crashed through the ceiling, it was empty. It's what? rush hour on the London tube. Okay. Not I wasn't <laughs> sure it was empty or not, but I take your word for it. Yeah, because it, you didn't see, didn't see anybody. You could see in the carriages there was nobody on it. Okay. All right. All right. So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna finish my rant and in a second I've still got a little bit more to go. Okay. <laughs> it's great. So all right. So Silver's plan steep makes even less sense because when you think about it, his plan was to humiliate M, destroy her office, leak the various identity of the double agents, make her feel guilty, pressure the government to get rid of her, and leave her in disgrace. That worked. He's done. Okay. What about the list? It never gets mentioned again. Once Silver's arrested, the list never gets mentioned again. <laughs> That's a good point. Does that mean the YouTube video stopped? I don't think... I think he probably would have had them on a server somewhere with the script that was posting them automatically. He wouldn't be sat at home pressing upload, 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 would he? Um, <laughs> no, it's, it's like they were so focused on moving on to the M personal stuff with you know bond protecting right. her from this point on it's that, that, that youtube videos are never mentioned again it's not a plot right. yeah it's absolutely no longer relevant to the yeah to the story no. that's right okay so the second part of his pl plan was to kill her which he ends up doing but anyway not because his plan works but because bond's an idiot but we'll get there <laughs> um so he escaped by all this all this miraculous stuff he happens to escape from um prison at exactly the right time for two henchmen to be waiting for him in the tube station to give him a fake police costume. But all these things had to line up at exactly the right moment and those two guys be there at exactly the right time for him to walk down and hand over the uniform so he could get to the um, government hearing that was taking place. Okay. I, I'm, I'm sensing that you're trying to say it's a little implausible. A little implausible. So you've got all these implausible things and then you've got the fact that you have to believe in exact timing Mm -hmm. Not only did Silver assume that everything would happen, but it had to happen at exactly the right time that he thought it would happen for any of that to make sense or work. End of rant. 
<laughs> it's true. I mean, but that's yeah. It's amazing how uh, how we and, and and these are all things that because the because that part those parts of the movie plays out like dominoes falling. We just sort of take for granted. That yeah, they, I, that so they the first happen. time I went, I I just went along with the ride, and maybe that's what I should be doing. I just went along with the ride, but the more mm-hmm. I thought about it, and every time I watch, I just find I just pick up something else and pick up something else. And yeah, something else. no. This is why it's number twenty-three on my list. Yeah, no, and and it makes no sense even for a Bond movie. Right? No, I agree. And it, 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 and it, like I said, it's like they had that plot in mind, and by God, they were going there, and everything else was just a means to an end. Everything in this movie is a means to getting them all together at Skyfall at the end. And so, by the way, yeah. So none of the rest of it matters. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, and by the way, to those people who really like this movie, and if you're listening to it, and I've just spoiled it for you, I'm sorry. I'm terribly sorry. <laughs> it's how I felt when, when uh, whichever, whichever, it was Big Bang Theory pointed out that nothing Indiana Jones does in Raiders of the Lost Ark affects the plot at all. Oh, Ex- no, that, yeah, I, that was, I went to a, I went to a, a writing masterclass with Peter David at a convention, one thing, and that's what he led with, and I was like, that was like a light bulb moment for me. Yes. Was like, oh, yeah, you're right. And it's the same here. You, you t- take Bond out of this movie, yep. or with Bond in it, Silver wins. He just disgraced, disgraces M. She ends up basically being tried, and he, she ends up dead. It's exact, and MI6 is in ruins. It's exactly what he wanted. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. hard to find so. any way that he loses other than because even when he gets killed, he kills her. I mean, what he wanted. Remember, at one point, he wanted her to shoot both of them. Yeah. Well, we'll get to that when we talk and to they, the end. But, and, they, yeah. and they both die, right? So he got yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Having said that, actually, in the, in the court scene, I think the, uh, the, the poem, the Alfred Lord Tennyson poem, um, is a Dame Judi Dench moment. That's wonderful. Um, a recitation of it, overlaid with Bond running through the streets, is, is cool. Um, that's it, a great Jane Judi Dench, uh, Sam Mendes moment. Um, I think that works beautifully. I guess. I just, I, that's been so overdone i just her I, when she started reading that poem i'm like not that one again you know it's like this is what they always go to and i'm just yeah uh, yeah i will say it's not quite as good as diana riggs poetry in uh, on a Manchester secret service but i think it's still pretty damn good. yeah yeah um I, and again i'm gonna do another nitpick here okay i love that moment when bond running through the streets um okay bond is bond works for mi6 they are not allowed to carry guns in the UK or operate in the UK. Um, they are the intelligence service for foreign mm-hmm. staff. Um, they're the secret service for overseas, external overseas. Yeah, MI5 <laughs> is a secret service for the UK. This, as soon as they brought Silver back, he would have been in MI5 custody, not MI6. Mm-hmm. The whole yeah. Anyway, Bond shouldn't be running around London with a gun because he wouldn't be allowed. It's All the right. FBI versus the CIA type of argument. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Um, so we get the firefight in the committee room. Um, I think um, Silver has them right in front of her and, again, doesn't kill her. Um, uh, and then Mallory has time to pull her out of the, out of the way and take the bullet. Um, so we, could, we get to see Mallory in action. We get to see Money Penny in action. I think that's pretty cool. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I do think that, that you know, you, you were saying how everybody kind of goes gets worse or does things that actually hurt. And I think that, I think that with Mallory – He's kind of the only one that goes in the opposite direction, right? Because for yeah, for yeah, most he's the only one just, sorry, for, I was going to say Mallory's the only one who actually does things right. Well, it's it for most of the movie. He's kind of the secondary villain. 
He he's the one that's messing everything up on the inside while Silva's messing everything up on the outside. And so he's, you know, we have a very low negative opinion of him for most of the movie. And then, you know, he he's the one that changes for the better because he discovers a little courage and tries to fight back and doesn't he get wounded and stuff. And then at the yeah, he end, does. And I, yeah, yeah, at the end he changes his mind and he goes from remember he was telling M that there's really no point even having your organization anymore. There's not any shadows anymore. There's not any more whatever anymore. And by the end of the movie, right. he's come around a full circle and he's in charge of it. So, yeah, he's the one character in this movie that actually go that actually grows and evolves in a positive direction and is better at the end than he was at the beginning. Yep, exactly. Yep, yeah. So, I think he's a great character, and I I, I like the fact that he does go from being the uh, the, the cynical. Um, civil servant to uh, you know who's just doing his job and stuff to actually understanding what's involved and mm-hmm. you know the, the the need for the double o's and and everything so uh, and, and and you know going back to the fact that he was a soldier and you know all, all this sort of stuff so i think that's yeah it's cool he is the he is the only one with a positive char- character art certainly um so we then get bond kidnaps m um and asks q to lay a digital trail of breadcrumbs for silver to follow but he doesn't say where Suddenly, Q and Tanner are setting up the breadcrumbs, but Bond didn't tell them where he was going. And it's clearly a surprise to M when they actually get to Skyfall that that's where they were going. So yep. how did they know? Didn't In fact, didn't she even like, say, I don't want to know or something? It seems yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and again, it seems supreme arrogance on Bond's part to be using Emma's bait, but she sort of agrees to it. So. Um, and she doesn't really okay, object, Yeah. Yeah. And then we get the fanboy fan service moment. Um, I said in another podcast the other week that we did that I hated the term fan service, but this was fan service. The reveal of the DB5. Yes, I did squeal the first time I saw it. Um, <laughs> but it makes no sense of even any sense of loose continuity get thrown out the window. Um, again, if it had just been a DB5, the DB5 from Casino Royale, maybe. Um, but to actually put the ejector seat in and make that quip about it just. Um, uh, throws any sense of continuity out of the thing. Apparently, Mendes says he did it because he used to own the diecast Corgi Toys model of the Bond, of the, the Bond DB5, and he, he wanted to put it in the movie. So, okay. <laughs> there's there's a lot that Mendes does in his two movies that I feel like it's not much of a better reason than that. So, yeah, and unfortunately, I think you know the use of the DB5 in in Casino Royale was cute. It was a cute callback moment, but to have it in uh, Quantum of Solace aside, to have it in every other movie um, has just got lazy. Well, again, 50th anniversary explains a lot, right? They got to yep. have everything in this movie. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, all right. So we get to, uh, but it's cool seeing the DB5 with the Bond theme and stuff. Yeah, it's a nice little moment. Mm-hmm. All right. So we get them driving through Scotland. We get the start of the Bond backstory that we didn't really need to know. Um, so, um, and then we get uh, them arriving at uh, Skyfall again. The big country house. This is so clearly a model dumped in a field. Um, yeah, it's. I mean, this is meant to be the Bond family home on this estate. There's no driveway. You drive through those gates. There's like a dirt track, but there's no laid out driveway. No. There's no laid out gardens. Even if it's semi derelict, there would have been signs of formal gardens and a driveway and stuff around it that made it look lived in at one time by a family and owned by generations of a family. It's clearly just a book dumped in a field. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, and I don't think it would have taken much more from the special effects. I'm amazed they didn't do it 
because the models and special effects teams are so good on the details. And it's the lack of detail here that made it look so false to me. It does, yeah. I mean, it it looks like a location that that house would be, but yeah, the, the, the landscape around it, though, doesn't back that up, so... Right. Yeah. And if it was on the edge of a lake, there would have been a pit, you know, a, a jetty mm. and a boathouse. And yeah. even if it was like, falling apart, there still would have been one, you know? Uh, it lo- yeah. It looks like something they set up to trap silver. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, it looks trap. like what it is, a, a model that's set in a field to be blown up, mm. um, you know? Um, so, uh, yeah, it, just that un- sense of unrealism just, again, throws me out of the, not that I was very into the movie, as you can tell, but, but throws me out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and again, it positions Bond as being from landed gentry, and I, I'd never really thought about his background of the mo- background of the movie Bond. But again, that just doesn't ring true. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, to me, all right, we're getting Kincaid, which we talked about. I actually think Albert Finney does a great job here. I actually love Kincaid. I think he's uh, he's entertaining. Oh, yeah, he is. He's, he's he's entertaining. I love the whole. You know, tell me again what it is you do for a living. Um, stuff. I I love that. <laughs> I love the whole thing that he thinks he thinks M is actually an abbreviation of Emma. Yeah, he calls her Emma. That's funny. He keeps to call her Emma all the time, mm-hmm. and that's part. Of, so I have a niece called Emma, and we call her M um, as well. <laughs> M's. So yeah, it, it, I, I sort of got that one. Um, and then we get the the blatant priest hole uh, foreshadow and exposition about what a priest hole is, though it's completely wrong the way they talk about it. <laughs> um, I mean, there was priest holes for the Catholic priests and stuff, but they were holes like under the floorboards or behind. They weren't like. Tunnels, and tunnels to another building. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then we get the Home Alone montage sequence of them prepping the house. <laughs> we needed like a like an eighties music video soundtrack behind it while they're doing that. It was so blatant; it was horrible. Um, <laughs> all right, so and then we get the start of the home invasion. So we get the DB five springing into action, which is sort of cool. Yeah, um, and uh, and I like Kincaid's "Welcome to Scotland" line at the start of the home invasion. Yeah, he first takes out the first good guy. I think uh, that's cool. Um, so we get the firefight. We get M gets injured in the firefight. So again, it's never really clear when she gets injured. Um, I think it's like a ricochet, isn't it? Um, yeah, you watching it this most recent time when it happened. I'm like, oh, that's when she got shot. Yeah, but, no. but she doesn't really I, let on. I don't think that's any way for her to go up. I think it should have been something like a taking a bullet for, to protect Kincaid or something instead of a, I mean, she's, she's collateral damage here. And I yeah. Don't know. yeah. The, the thing that she does that's, that's, I guess, heroic with it is she never mentions it and doesn't complain about it until she's about to collapse and there's blood everywhere. Right. So yeah. she's like stoic, you know, stiff upper lip right up until that moment. That's pretty much. But for her to be collateral damage from a ricochet from an unnamed henchman. Yeah. Yeah. It just, yeah. Doesn't seem worthy of her. No, uh, worthy of her, so. that's, that's fair. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, so this is where I had my note that I mentioned earlier about. So the bond is really great at getting out of impossible situations that others have put in place. You know, he finds the weakness and exploits it. The problem here is that not that James Bond won the fight of you know three people against however God knows many, um, even though it's a little stupid. But the fact that he won that fight is not. The problem is that Bond actually planned this. I use planned. I just did air quotes around planned. Um, this mm. this fight in advance, you know, he went to a old house he hasn't visited in decades. Didn't know what resources were available to take on a bad guy who apparently seems to have unlimited resources, including helicopters and gunships and God knows what else. Um, and it was going to be him and 
M, who is not normally seen in action, and mm-hmm. he doesn't know how good she is. And oh, and he's lucky enough that there happens to be a gamekeeper there who can sh- shoot a you know a gun. Oh, by the way, that I, I read somewhere that that gun that is meant to be uh, Bond's dad's gun. Mm-hmm. That's an elephant gun. Apparently, if you f- <laughs> if you fire that at somebody, it literally blows them in half. Um, <laughs> So, yeah. Um, well, anyway. And, and I also, I took issue with the idea, like you say, that he went there just trusting that there would be some kind of weapons there. Yeah. I mean, he. I mean, it, they said they sold it, and that's all well and good, and it surprised him. But even still, you'd think he would have made a stop at Walmart or something and picked up a couple of guns. Something. Yeah, well, not that you could do that in the UK. Well, yeah, but you could do something if you're James Bond, for crying out loud. You could find something. Right. I mean, if he's... If he's got his if he's got his private lockup with the DB five in it, with she has machine guns and stuff, wouldn't you have thought that lockup would have an arm, you know, his own cache of weapons? In the trunk or something, throw, yeah. Throw in the trunk, yeah. Um, or he'd have a safe house somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, Again, it's all sort of- contrived to get you to this Home Alone battle. It is. It is. It's all contrived, and it's all Bond making mistakes and being an idiot. Yeah. Because um, that's the only way that he ends up there in that situation. The only way yeah. you get the Home Alone, Die Hard kind of, you know, you know, Die Hard in a Scottish mansion <laughs> is if he does the various things he does that puts him in that position. So yeah, yeah, exactly. <sighs> right. And again, yeah, I, and, not- and again, I want to make clear to the audience: a lot of what happens in that battle is very cool, and I enjoy it. I appreciate it. I like watching yeah. the end of it. It's just that the getting there makes your brain hurt. <laughs> It's, again, it's a good action sequence unless you think about how, the setup of right. it, um, you know, and yeah. the characters it's meant to be. Um, mm-hmm. it, yeah, it just doesn't work. So, okay, so we get we get uh, the firefight going on. Um, the DB five blows up. What the hell did Bond? Maybe he did have something in the, in the trunk because the way that thing blew up. Yeah. What the hell did he have in the DB five to make it blow <laughs> up like that? Um, we get the magic propane canisters again, which seems to be a constant thing in the in the uh, Daniel Craig movies that uh, you can blow up little. Uh, you know, you could explode a p- propane canister and it'll blow a house to smithereens. Um, so, sure. Um, so Kincaid and, and the wounded M go through the tunnel. So when it, we were doing the foreshadowing, didn't he say that the tunnel went all the way to the chapel? Which sort of makes sense, though. It's not what a priest hole was. But yet so. they come out of it halfway on the moor, halfway between the house and the chapel. Oh, and what what do they do? He starts waving a flashlight oh around him. again from the bad guys. Oh my gosh, that one, that absolutely, that more than anything else in this movie just makes me scream when he's waving that flashlight around. He hadn't, he should know better than that. You keep your hand yeah. over it and just let a little tiny sliver out if you need to see what you're doing. You don't wave it around like a freaking searchlight, like a lighthouse. Is, is the gamekeeper groundsman for that estate? He should know every blade of grass, yes. even if it's dark. Oh my god. You goodness. know? Yeah, and that, every hillock and every path. Yeah. That really You shouldn't need a flashlight, no matter how dark it is. So yeah. It's uh again, people making mistakes that they shouldn't do based on their character. So yeah. So um so we get Silver Silver's outside the house and he says the house is blown up and he says, just make sure Bond's dead. How did he know who is where? He doesn't know who's out with the flashlight and who was in the house. All he was doing was responding to gunfire coming from the house he doesn't know it was bond mm-hmm. he hasn't seen bond face to face how does he know where bond is he's assuming that bond bond was in the house that could be bond out in the field with the flashlight as far as he knows at this point okay yep so anyway so he says make sure bond's dead so 
he, and he sees the flashlight, so he goes after the flashlight, and then eventually he sees Bond. What's the first thing he does? I mean, just told all these guys to make sure that Bond's dead, and he spots Bond. What's the first thing he does? I don't remember. He monologues. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> about his knees hurting and running around. Yeah. He just told his guys to make sure Bond's dead. He's now stood there with Bond on a precariously on an ice thing. And when he does shoot him, does he shoot to kill him? No, he shoots to break the ice. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. He's just not doing what he just told his guys to do. So, all right. Anyway. <laughs> and that's a really deep little pond. It is a deep pond, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> what the heck, man? Or it's lake. like the Atlantic Ocean. Yeah. <clears throat> I, I, I will say the cinematography of this section, again, looks beautiful with the, mm-hmm. you know, it's very evocative and the, you know, the stuff from the fires and the, the under the ice and stuff all looks very, very cool. Yes. Um, yeah, it's a beautiful movie. There's no doubt about it's it. A, really it is the beautifully, uh, and Roger Deakins is a great cinematographer. I'm not going to mm-hmm. take anything away from that. It's beautifully yeah. shot. Um, all right. And then, um, so we, we get at the, um, Silver so arrives at the chapel and pauses to look at the gravestones of Andrew and Bond and Monique Del- Delacroix. Because, oh, look, James Bond had a family. Um, you know, just to rub it in a bit. I think it's interesting that just because Sean Connery was Scottish and was the first to play Bond, Ian Fleming then goes back and alters the character to fit that. And now all the movies have had to alter to fit that. So now Bond has got this extra, this. Scottish and French connection, you know, it's just it just is kind of a strange way of it playing. Well, I don't think none of the other movies have ever talked about his parentage other than the fact that he, there was a couple of in the, in the Brosnan ones there was a reference to him being orphaned because um, Alec Trevelyan makes a reference to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but nobody talks about his parents. This is the first time you actually get that definite Andrew Bond, um, Monique Delacroix, which is in all the books. Um, so, but uh, yeah, which we didn't need to do. I mean. It had been established it was his family home. It had been established his parents had died when he was young. We didn't need the gravestone um, thing, I don't yeah. think. Yeah. So, um, so, yeah, we'll talk about it. So, Silver walks in. He has the wounded M right in front of him. Does he shoot her? No. <laughs> God. But that's the exact thing he spent 10 years planning for, yeah? Spent 10 it had, years to, planning it had to-, to be just right, though, apparently, you know? And, and then he tries right. to – is this where he then tries to get her to shoot? Them Shoot, both, well, yeah, and then, he, or... then Kincaid, Kincaid walks out of the, do- of the door at the back of the, of the vestry and he shoots a warning shot at him. I mean, this is Silver. He's a killer. Mm-hmm. Why didn't he just kill him instead of sh- Anyway, okay. Um, so, yeah, he's doing this stupid dance with M and then he gets the knife in the back thrown by Bond. Um, and then M dies in Bond's arm. Uh, so she's definitely the Bond girl for this movie. That's right. Um, playing two, two, you know, she's the main Bond girl and she's the sacrificial lamb. So, um, mm-hmm. it's interesting. Yeah, well, obviously. So, Severine was also the sa- sacrificial lamb earlier on. So, um, yeah, it's you, one where the, the Bond girl does not survive at the end. There's, so. there's, I guess the, I mean, you only briefly have the girl on the on the beach at the very beginning. So, really, those are the only two Bond girls in the movie. Right, M is the other one, and Money Penny. Oh yeah, Money. That's right. Okay, yeah. All right. But she's so, Money Penny. Uh, you don't you realize later that she's Money. So you have M and Money Penny, and they're both Bond girls in this movie, which is not really true about any other Bond movie. No, no. Interesting. So, so M dies. So we talked about the fact that Silver gets what he wants because he wanted to, you know, he wanted to kill M, and M dies at the end of it. And, but he actually dies not knowing that. He knows she's wounded, but mm-hmm. he, doesn't, he doesn't know she dies. So, um, so 
he sort of wins and fails because he wins because she dies, but he fails because he dies without knowing that she dies and she dies from not, not from him, not from him, but from some nameless henchman. So he sort of, sort of wins and dies, but the end result's the same. So like I said, with all that stuff that I've just been on and on for the past two hours, (laughs) um, (laughs) it's um, that, uh, you know, when at the end of the day, the bad guy gets what he wanted to do in the fact that he discredits and kills them. And that's exactly what he wanted to do. So, um, and so in that Bond just made it Bond just made it worse. In in that yeah, and in that way it makes Mallory's sort of conversion at the end even more important because if if what Silva wanted to do was discredit M and have her basically die um and if to, to, basically what he really wanted was for her to kill herself in shame over what she had done to him. Right. I mean, that's pretty much what he wanted to do was push her to the edge where she wanted to kill herself because she's so ashamed of what she had done to him. But if he was going to but he was happy to help her, you know, along the way. I'll get a publicly disgraced. And if you think about it, that thing at Mallory at the beginning where Mallory said to her, Mm -hmm. you know, you'll retire gracefully in two months time and we'll give you all these honors and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. If Silver had waited two months, (laughs) she'd have retired gone to that house in London, which ha- has very little security, and probably after she died, have even less security. And then he could have just walked in the front door and popped her. Right, but that wouldn't have had the same effect. He wanted her to. He wanted her while she was still a person in control of that organization to realize the error of her ways and feel remorseful yeah. about it. And again, that's why I think that Mallory kind of saves the movie at the end because when he mm-hmm. flips yeah. over and becomes the new M. It, it shows that Silva in the short term has succeeded, whether he knows or not. But in the long term, he's failed because everything is back pretty much the way it was with an effective M again. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He's failed in destroying MI6, but he's actually killed Barbara Maudsley. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that what he wanted was both revenge for himself on her, but he also wanted to end the system that could create people like him. And honestly, he didn't because Mallory now is running an organization that runs Bond and can lead, and could conceivably create another per- person like him, which yeah. is kind of a gray ending in a lot of ways, right? But that's that's how I it is. It. it is, yeah. So we get this final scene, and as you said, everything at the end. And I actually really, with one exception, really liked it. This end scene. So we, you know, we have Bond on the rooftop. Mm-hmm. That's a very cool, iconic shot it uh, is. of him looking over the the London skyline. Um, and the flags, very, yeah. And the flags. Apparently, that was the first time they'd ever filmed up there. You know, that line of money penny saying, I didn't know you were allowed up there. Apparently, that's actually true. You're not <laughs> normally allowed up there. Right. Um, so it was the first time anybody had actually filmed that skyline shot. So it was very cool. Um, I love the fact that uh, money penny walks into the, you know, with Bond into the traditional office with the leather doors and the hat stand. Yes, the door, man. The door. Um, But this whole thing of him saying, we've never been formally introduced, I don't know your name. I get the fact that they wanted to keep the fact it was Moneypenny from the audience. But for Bond not to know a name (laughs) is completely stupid. Yeah, that's all that. They've been out in the field together. They've been on assignment together. They've apparently had sex. Mm -hmm. Um, They've clearly known each other over a period of time and been in very tense situations and very intimate situations. And yet... And, he, and yet he doesn't know her name? Because, once again, it has to contrive to fit the way the story plays out. Yeah. I, again, I 
get it from a reveal to the audience point of view. Yeah. From a character and story perspective. It's terrible. Make, terrible. Makes no sense. No sense at all. Uh, but I'll tell you, the office with the pallid door, <laughs> the rising Bond team, there's Bond walking to see M's behind a big mahogany desk. He has this, the, 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 the folder with the new mission, gives it to Bond. That's the Bond movie I want to see. That goes a long way towards <laughs> making up for a lot of sins before this. Because I tell you, that end, I was like, hell yeah, that's what we're going to get with Spectre. Boy, uh, was I wrong. Yeah. But- <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, you sit through all of Skyfall. We, we, it's funny, we get through all of Skyfall to get to the moment where we want the movie to start, and that's the end. Oh, exactly. Yeah. I was like, that's the movie I wanted. Yeah. Oh, and we, no. you set it up, and boy, that's going to be good. And then we get the gun barrel exit. But Bond's in a great ill-fitted suit instead of the tuxedo. Ah! But at least we get a gun barrel exit. But yeah, it, it was funny. I went all the way through Skyfall. Like I say, every time I've watched it, it's like I find it worse and worse and worse. And it gets to that end and I was like, yes, this is the bo- traditionalist. This is the Bond I, movie I want to see um, at the end. So. And then it's over. <laughs> and it's over. Oh, so. no. All right. Here's my, let me give you my little final Okay, ver- so now I'm, I'm interested to hear your upbeat. Now I've ripped this movie to pieces. I'm interested to hear your <laughs> thoughts on why you well. believe it's more worthy than you thought. Okay. So part of it is what, what I was saying. I heard other reviewers talking about that we're not Bond fans. And they were saying that they loved it for the reasons. Some of the reasons that we talked about, right? The cast is really good. Bardem is, uh-huh. really, is really good. He's not my favorite Bond villain by a long ways, but I will, I will admit that he's effective in it, right? He, he is an interesting yep. villain. He's not one of my favorite Bond villains, but he's certainly a more interesting villain than Mr. Green <laughs> or, the, or the Mexican war, the, the, the Bolivian warlord, you know, in Quantum of Solace or whatever. I, I mean, I give him that. He's, he's not in my top 10 or anything, but he's not in the bottom 10 either. He, he is interesting and he does give a very, very good solid performance. Okay, so there's that. I do like that it's a lot about M and she's a great character and a great actress and I like that it focuses on her a lot. I do think it looks great. It's a great looking movie. And I think it has qu- it has quite a few set pieces that on their own are pretty cool, right? You've got the Shanghai stuff. You've got the uh, the stuff at the beginning. Is that in Istanbul or I can't remember now? Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's in, in Istanbul, yeah. Uh, on the train and everything. Um, yeah. There's a there's a number. And the, the Home Alone bit at the Skyfall. There's a lot of segments of this movie that kind of on their own can stand with just about any Bond movie in terms of being cool action sequences, and I appreciate that. Um I have all kind of issues that we've already talked about. I, the Severing character, like I said, is so frustrating because in her first scene, she really is interesting, and you really think, oh, this is going to be a great Bond girl, and, and then she goes nowhere. It just totally falls to pieces, and it's just so frustrating. And you actually brought up some stuff about it I hadn't even considered about him walking in there and she's in the shower and you're, you know, my brain was going Bond girl. Of course, he's going to get in the shower with her and she's going to love it. But when you pointed out like her past and then Bond just ignores that and does that, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's even worse than I realized, you know? So, um, so I think it's, it's, this is another one of those cases, Alan, where when we, when we watch it several times, we become a little more numb to the bad stuff well, at least some of us, not not all apparently. <laughs> but I, in this case, I become I a little more. This, this is, I was going to say this is the one movie where I don't become numb to the bad right. stuff. I become more aware of the bad stuff. I've 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 come to understand that, but but uh, <laughs> you yeah, that out. yeah, yeah, I have, yeah, but uh, 
But I have a little, I've forgiven a little bit of it. But that being said, this is not one of my favorites and it's not one that I rush out and want to see. So I, you know, like I said, I, I currently, like going in, I had it ranked number 21. And if I was going to raise it up any spots at all, I'd have to move it ahead of Spectre, which we'll talk about next month. I'd have to move it ahead of The Living Daylights, which, hey, you know, The Man with the Golden Gun and Christopher Lee. So I'm hard-pressed to move it up because the movies ahead of it, honestly, I like better. I think 21 is, for me, pretty much where it needs to be. It's got 300, License to Kill, Octopus, and A View to Kill. There's no way it's a worse movie to me than those three. It definitely needs to be above those three. But I can't justify moving it ahead of anything else. So I think it's going to stay exactly where it is, which is, I mean, that's good in a way because it didn't drop. <laughs> and it's bad in a way because usually when we watch these, I kind of find the good in them and move them up a little bit. Uh, but I can't, I can't move this one ahead of the ones ahead of it. So, so yeah, I, this is for me a bottom rung Bond movie. It's got a, it's got a fair number of good pieces, but it has so many negatives and so many things that are frustrating and disappointing that they just drag it down like an anchor around the neck. Yeah. I, I, like I said, I, you know, I don't think this is a Bond movie. Um, and I'm, maybe over obsessing on the plot holes and the, the questions the plot and the story raises and maybe I'm overthinking it and overanalyzing it but for me this is a, as I said I think if you want a movie about a melancholy spy who is losing his skills and he's making mistakes and in doing so pulls down everything that he once believed in it works but even on that basis there are there are just so many plot holes, so many questions that I just really can't get past them. I, I can normally get past the plot holes mm. and just enjoy the ride of a Bond movie, even though most of them are, I mean, you only live twice. You know, all the stuff that happens in You Only Live Twice only happens because it's a Bond movie. Right. But I can enjoy the ride. But here, it just there's just so much unaddressed, so many questions, and the characters don't act like the characters. Bond does not act like the best agent in the Secret Service. M makes mistakes. Q mm. makes mistakes. Mm -hmm. Money penny makes mistakes. And they all Every they all make these mistakes to serve the plot rather than oh, to be characters. And that's that's exactly, a card yeah. cardinal sin. Yeah. Cardinal sin. Absolutely yeah, exactly. unforgivable. Yeah. So maybe I'm coming at this as too much of a writer and not enough as a Bond fan. No, I, I no, I agree. And see, and again, this movie came out the same at the, about the same time I think as Star Trek Into Darkness, which suffered from the exact same problems. There was this yeah, period, exactly, yeah. There, there was this that was that period when these movies were coming out that had the same plots, the same contrivances, and suffered from the exact same flaws. And it was just infuriating. I was these big budget movies that make a lot of money, but I'm like. Why do people like this? It's it's it, it it's it's paper, paper thin, right? So yeah, yeah. You know. So, but it isn't bottom my of my list. And um, there's one movie we haven't talked about yet. <laughs> oh no. So well, um, so if you think I went off on a diatribe about this one, oh god, <laughs> oh, no. Poor Daniel Craig. Then. Well, I've said it all along uh, that I think his his movies have got progressively worse. Uh, and I know I'm not the only one who thinks that. No, I'm yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, and because I, I was just now thinking, back of my head, I was doing this. I was thinking if I were to take his four movies and rate them on a scale of one to ten, I would go like nine and a half, seven, six and a half maybe. Um, and then this one is like a three. And next month we'll find out where Spectre is. <laughs> yeah. 
So I think it's going to be another interesting conversation. It is. Well, (laughs) this one certainly lived up to my expectations, which is finding out the reasons why you don't think much of it. Because it's, I've always wanted to have this conversation with you. This has been very cool because I knew you didn't regard it very highly. You've never made a secret of that. But yet most folks, Bond fans and non-Bond fans, as I said earlier, really have this one in pretty high esteem. And so I really wanted to know what it was that caused you to rank it low because I knew what it was about me, but most people don't agree with me. So I, no, I hope we are, that our, we are definitely in a minority on this one. We I know, are. We, I know. And I hope that we haven't totally put off our audience because again, we love Bond. We love all these movies. And this is, this is a movie I've watched several times. I don't watch movies several times that I don't like a lot about, you know, uh, but we're trying to be honest and we're trying to be analytical and, and take the bad with the good and the good with the bad. And that's just what, how it plays out. So, Yeah, I will say there are certain scenes in this movie that I will put on and watch. I, the, the pre-credit sequence, even though I've got problems with it, I will quite happily mm-hmm. sit and watch that as a little mini-movie on its own. And I've done that lots of times. Sure. Um, and, there's, and there's other sequences in here that I, that I like. And I, I think it's a beautiful looking movie. Mm. Um, and like you say, and I love the score. I play the, play the score a lot. But uh, yeah, uh, it's just the story, the plot characters ah <laughs> <laughs> other than that though <laughs> other than that it works really well it works really well all right well i think we have gone on long enough we've covered everything and so i guess uh, it's time to uh, wrap things up would you agree i think so all uh, right yeah. well thank I, you everybody uh, yeah i appreciate i appreciate once again alan joining me for this uh, show and uh, on her Majesty's secret podcast we'll return we have one more previous Bond movie to go and then it'll be time for No Time to Kill. Alright, so we'll see you later Alan. Cheers fam. This has been a White Rocket Entertainment Production.